the Fantasy Football Fire. This is the Pyro Podcast, show 261, and we are super fired up to drop the knowledge, give you guys the fantasy football goo. This is week 21 of the NFL season, and it's the last week of our season. Super Bowl weekend is Sunday. We're at, everyone's fired up, actually a great high-powered matchup. In the first segment of this show, we will be talking about the Super Bowl, going through the fantasy implications, talking about the game itself, and then in the second segment, we are going to be covering tiers. We are going to be doing a little audit and review of our 2016 tiers, look back to last August and September, and uh, talk through why we had certain guys where, and then in the uh, second part of that segment, we'll look in the future a bit and talk about our tiers and where we're kind of slotting guys a little bit right now in this early for next season, the 2017 NFL season. As usual, to the left of me, I have Houdini. Welcome back, my friend. Across the way from me, I've got Stag Party. I am D-Rex. We are Pyromaniac.com. What up, what up? It's good to be back. Yeah, buddy. I've, uh, this is also a, a, a nice day. I've, I had a, a long week last week, and uh, I have not had a drink in four days. You look so, skinny. Uh, oh, thanks. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> now you're drinking? <laughs> well, I'm going to fatten up on some IPAs then, you know, so hey, nice. enjoy. Empty, empty calories are the best calories. Yeah, yeah, my favorite. That's the way I like them. Did you listen to the show last week when we had uh, Waz at Waz NFL, I, our I'm, boy on the show as your replacement? Oh, good. I did a lot of shit talking about you if you didn't. <laughs> uh, don't worry. I'll go back and I'll listen to it later. I'll, I'll comment He's on next fucking week. out! <laughs> usually, I get a te- usually I get a text on the shows that you don't go to when I start ripping on you about something. You'll be like, oh, so I'm an asshole. Huh? I, I just usually assume it's going to happen, so... <laughs> Uh, it was a good show. It was just fun at the end. We're like, you did a good job. So what do you think about it? I go to Stags. What do you think about it? He's like, he's out. Replaced. <laughs> it's mostly because I didn't get interrupted. <laughs> just want to make this clear. <laughs> <laughs> that was funny at the end. Um, good stuff, though. But obviously, you know, the Super Bowl, biggest game in all of sports. Um, and we got a doozy. We got Tom Brady, who's now um, appearing in his seventh uh, Super Bowl. Uh, he's won four, so he's going for uh, every digit on his fi- on his hand. Uh, pretty huge accomplishment. If that happens, that'll pretty much bona fide make him the goat of all time. I think he's already proved that. And with the, about the next three to four years that he's still well, got left in the league, he'll shatter every record of everyone's. I believe because he's tied with Montana. He's tied with four with Montana. But Montana didn't have a loss in the Super Bowl. That's the only yeah. difference. But you get five. And you've been to seven, and in this modern age, as compared to the era when when Montana did it, and I was always a Joe Montana guy. I'm a, I'll give it up to, to Brady. I'm a Montana no Niner guy myself, no question about it. Uh, that those teams were just so stacked over there in the 49ers. But uh, so it's a, it's a great game. And then on the flip side, you got a team that's been to, was in the Super Bowl. I think then they lose to John Elway in his final season. Um, I believe so in '99 or so. But they haven't. So that's a long. Long time since being in the, in, in the Super Bowl for the Atlanta Falcons. Couldn't have happened to a better team. I'm really excited about it. The highest powered offense in the league going against the highest scoring defense. And we just know that this is gonna, this should be a good game no matter what. Have, have either of you guys looked at any prop bets? Just a little bit. I, I want to know, is there, is there a prop bet on will a Atlanta Falcon player... Do the dirty bird 
if they score a touchdown. Well, I, I mean, it's probably got to be on there. It's got at least be on the there's so many different sites running different props now. Uh, it'd be hard enough to not find one that offers that. I mean, there's a prop bet. There's a lot of prop bets, basically. Um, Trump mentions will uh, Luke Bryan be wearing blue jeans or shorts? Jeez uh, Louise, these are stupid. Um, <laughs> I'll find ones that are a little more football related. Light Lady Gaga prop bets. Uh, and obviously. Lip slip got, from Lady Gaga, that's on oh, TV. I want to turn it That would be awesome. <laughs> if we got a nipple gate. <laughs> that would be so sweet. Um, yeah, so it's just going to be pretty. That's your job to watch for it and report on it. I'll tell you what, my, and I mentioned this a little bit last week. My job is to not start drinking early this Super Bowl Sunday. Last two years, I've started boozing a little early, and I always forget the game just doesn't really start till like 6 o'clock. And I just have this thought in my head that it's like a 3 o'clock game, and I've just been hammered the last two games, like kind of really hurting and a little bit passed out, and like get a little bit googly eyed for the second half. So this, this year, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just not have a beer until kickoff. Well, that's the problem. It's like, number one, it's on Sunday. It should be on Saturday, or Monday should be a national holiday. <laughs> I uh, that. Or if you're going to do it on Sunday, then at least start the game at, at 4 o'clock. So because this is not like a normal game, it's an extended long uh, halftime. At least uh, we, we, we have to keep our fingers crossed that we don't have any power outages. <laughs> so it's always at least a four to four hour, four and a half hour long game. So it, it's a late night. Yeah, don't don't get wasted too early. But they, if they moved it to Saturday and had like a whole thing and then you had Sunday to recover, that would be awesome. It would be awesome. I've been on Team Saturday Super Bowl for a long time. Yeah, I guess it really. You, they would do that if it wasn't Super Bowl Sunday. It's such a moniker, like to change. It's Super not even Saturday. That. It's probably they can't get Super Bowl Saturday branded. Exactly. <laughs> I, mean, I think it's, it's a big jump. Um, so I think one thing that's important to mention is that this is the highest um, over under in the history of the Super Bowl. Right now it's at fifty eight and a half. Fifty nine. Fifty nine. It moved up. Oh Jesus. I'll go to covers.com and get my stuff. The last year, the final uh, over under was 43 and a half. That's quite quite a jump. Uh, Jesus Christ, that's a huge jump. That's uh, essentially 16 point higher scoring total, which should make this for a more exciting Hashtag game. Hashtag good at math. Yeah. <laughs> we know. Our listeners know I'm not good at math. I'm good at. A handful of things. I'm terrible at a lot of things. Math goes into the terrible column. So bad at it. Yeah. I still use a tip app for tipping on my uh, on my smartphone. Hey, what's the matter, buddy? Need a back rub? Yes, <laughs> I actually do. Get over here, buddy. Make uh, sure with that entrance, we gotta leave that little sigh and aw. Oh. After we did, after that quiet bottle. Opened. Yeah, it's because you gave me. You didn't give me a a lighter. We had a. Oh, it's a good point. Yeah, you know, it's just yeah. a, it's just an actual bottle opener. So. Bottle opener. It was like, well, and it was warm. It was a beer that didn't get cold enough yet to get a good pop on it. We've yeah. usually been doing cans lately, but me and Houdini are both in the bottle tip. Speaking of which, Valverde. Hey, I like it. I like it a lot. <laughs> get the lighter. <laughs> the next ones will be real Valverdes. You can count on that. Yeah, I mean, I'm really excited for this game from a football perspective standpoint just because I think both offensive coordinators are innovative offensive minds. I think we could see some you know, trickery. I think there's going to be some creative formations and creative play calling, and they're just going to try to get the ball to their best players and each have a lot of very, very good players. 
Um, we know that the Falcons have a ton of playmakers, mm-hmm. but you know this defense is. If you're looking at the defenses on a season-long perspective, you're definitely going to give the edge to New England. But the Falcons, after their bye, their defense has been a top ten unit since that point. So you you look at each side, and this just can be a good one, I think. Well, you also have Dan Quinn, who's what in his third Super Bowl in four years. So you know he's also gone up against Tom Brady and this offense. Which you know really hasn't changed all that much, and, it's, and it is Gronkless. So, you know, I, I think this is also one of those ones where you talk about this high uh, over under and all those things. I almost play contrarian here. I, I don't know that it's necessarily going to get to that because neither team really wants to be caught in a shootout or be caught from behind in a shootout. So, the other key thing is going to be which team wins the opening toss. And is if, it, if it's Belichick, is he going to decide? Because I think Atlanta has scored on uh, their past. last eight opening possessions uh, a touchdown. Uh, so yeah, 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 last eight games. Incredible. Incredible. So at that point in time, do you want to be, if you're Bill Belichick, where you normally would defer to the second half, do you actually maybe just say, I'll take the ball? And then what if they just decide to run inside and give LeGarrette blunt and try to beat him that way? And they're preparing for the pass, and you, and you gash him with a run early. So like hey, there's a lot of different game plans that you, can, that you can do. Uh, and I think Atlanta has some of the same versatility as well because of their dynamic duo in the backfield. Going off of that, you know, New England's one of the teams that usually takes the ball every single time. But last week against Pittsburgh, they pulled a little switcheroo. They wanted to get the ball in their offense's hands first, get the momentum, score some points early. Uh, and that could be something that happens. So when if you look at the stats, though, for New England, all they always defer. And they always try to get the ball in the second half. Um, and that's just something they always do. And, and there's prop bets for who gets the ball first. So that's something important to sort of look at. So... Are, are, is New England going to choose to take the ball if they, you know, get the toss their way? It's going to be interesting. That's one of those things. You want to keep it away from Matty Ice and you want to score first? I think that's something definitely in the realm of possibility. I, I do think if the Patriots wanted to, they could smash them on the ground. If they wanted to go with a pure power run game, they could smash them. But I don't know if they will. Well, I almost kind of lean toward that they will for this reason. Same thing that we said going into the playoffs for New England when it came to Deion Lewis. Hey, Deion Lewis is going to be used as a receiver. Look, they haven't showed it to you. And then, you know, they were, they were really splitting cares of what happened in that first uh, playoff game. LeGarrette Blunt didn't see, what, what he had two carries, I think, in that, in that first game. And then... Blunt has slowly started to become more and more used, but at the same time... No, Blunt was used enough in the first game, but the numbers weren't great. Okay. He had under 10 carries. It was under 10 carries, okay. I just knew that it was, it was a very minimal game. I mean, obviously that was the one where Deion Lewis scored all, all the touchdowns. Uh, all the touchdown won all the monies. <laughs> I don't know about that, but... <laughs> There's still we still have time to go on that, so yeah, we'll figure that one out. Well, I think, <laughs> but but I, but I'm just I'm saying that Belichick has a way of you're preparing for him to do all these different things, and he just always has a way of, of getting in other people's minds and just being the contrarian and doing exactly the opposite. So I wouldn't be surprised to see Tom Brady only throw the ball like you know two or three times out of the first ten attempts, ten plays. 
Well, yeah, we'll see. I think when you got Brady, they got so many weapons. Both of these offenses do. That uh, I mean, I think. Let's let's just start. Let's start with which team. Which, which team do you guys want to kind of uh, cover? We can talk about Brady and all this. Let's talk okay. about New England. Just... Got got New England. So I mean, when you got that, I kind of like your approach. We're being contrary to that over and on, over under. Jesus, the train action here is just insane. Sorry, um, but I think that. What's that? Yeah, the problem is we're all going under, and that's a scary thought. So, so you think that's you mean Vegas? Whenever everybody's <laughs> all in, that hat that it goes the opposite. But Vegas has been having a bad last five weeks, so maybe we'll see. I um, mean, but it, it is—it's a high—it's it's a high over under. I mean, you could easily see this game stay in like the twenty-eight to twenty-four range. And you know, <laughs> Houdini's fucking reading my mind right now. <laughs> that's the, because I, I finished the fantasy pros um, against the spread picks for this week. Earlier, I've got a 28-24 New England, so I've got New England winning and covering, um, and the under. So Houdini's reading my mind. So they're <laughs> nice work. You guys are on the same page. So th- right now the spread is three, right? Yep. Wow. Okay. Um, I think it's gonna be tight. That's yeah. it's gonna be interesting. But looking at New England, they can attack the Falcons in a lot of different ways, and and you're looking at the Falcons. How can they stop New England? I guess is the main. You know, aspects you're looking to see. Is there a way? they? I mean, they need to play like Houston and get pressure up the middle. Does that mean they use Vic Beasley as a Rome linebacker and use him sort of blitzing up the middle? I mean, we sort of saw that from Dan Quinn in the past with some of his better players. I, I think that's an option. They just try to get pressure in Brady's face because if they get no pressure, they're just going to eat him alive. And then if you try to blitz too many players – that Brady's going to eat him alive there. I mean, there's just so many things that Tom's good at. But I also do think they could just run a power game. They could do a Garrett Blunt game with Deion Lewis mixing in. And we know James White's still going to be there as a pass catcher as well. He's not going to disappear because he has an all-season. He's in When he's in, they're most likely passing the ball. 92% of the times his snaps – but he's still out there, you know, 25% of the time. It's like 25 and then 40, 40, and that's how it's being split up right now. So that, that's a jumbled mess. But each of these guys is, you know, so good at their skill set and their role that I, I think each is going to be a factor. Yeah, it, I, I just look at for how they're going to attack Atlanta. I, I definitely think you're going to see a lot of Julian Edelman again. This is going to be a, a good game for him, where he's going to be heavily targeted. Uh, the problem for Edelman is: is he going to be targeted when they get to the red zone? You know, or is is that going to be you know where maybe we see a little bit more Martellus Bennett, uh, or are they going to be leaning on Garrett Blunt? You know, and just you know because again, I, I think that the Patriots don't want to be in a, in a shootout with Atlanta. The way that their offense is, is humming right now, you, you really want to kind of limit the amount of possessions. And that's why I think that you're going to see a, a much more of a 50-50 mix, uh, if not more, toward a, a run game just because you want to slow it down. Put the pressure on Matt Ryan. Put the pressure on all these guys that haven't been there before. You know, uh, Tom Brady is cool and collected. If they do decide to say, hey, we're going to blitz and we're going to put Beeson, Beeson, we're going to try to have, make him a rover or try to come up the middle, he's going to eat him alive. You know, you're not going to beat him on disguising things. He's going to know what's happening. What you're going to have to do is beat the man across from you and beat him consistently, kind of the way Vaughn Miller did when when the, when the Broncos won their title. You know, 
he was just a man-child in every game that he played. Yeah, but he came from a lot of different spots. And that's what I'm saying. you got to move Vic Beasley around. And if he's your best player, you got to get him in some more. More people are betting on Vic Beasley winning the MVP right now than any other player, which is crazy. It's probably a merger of the – it's a nice uh, nice mount payback on, on the uh, whatever, the percentage of – uh, what is the percentage of yeah? I, it's, it's like I know we, we had a turn I recently. Looked, I was on a, a page looking at it earlier. Um, I, I'll I'll track it down because there were not many. Like there was there was Dent, there was like, like Ray, five, wasn't Ray Lewis was he five the Miller? I mean, there's probably five total. Right, guy from the that was on Dallas. I'll I'll track it down. But keep going. Oh right, Larry. Not yeah. like, is it Larry Brown? Yeah. <laughs> it's probably been like five total in fifty one Super Bowls. So about ten percent. So here, here we go. This uh, Vic Beasley load page. Um, all right, well, it's <laughs> a wrong, wrong story. Um, I'll get to it. But that's uh, so people are thinking the same thing coming off of what we saw last year with uh, Miller, who was just ridiculous. That was probably one of the best games I've ever seen by a defense player ever. That guy was just, he he won him the Super Bowl, so he deserved that. Um, I think in general, what do you think? What do you what do you think, Gronk? I mean, do you think it? it what happens if if the Patriots win the Super Bowl without Gronk. Do they let him go? Why would they? I, I don't think they need to. I, I, yeah, I, I mean, get tra- they can, you know, do you know, they they actually, they do you know that they actually have a lot of cap space going into next year? I believe it. I believe it. And you hear that now they're saying that uh, um, Cleveland Browns want to go after Garoppolo or whatever, so they're going to get more draft picks for that dude. Um, I don't know. I could just see the Patriots maybe being like, you know what, Gronk's always hurt. We love this guy. Uh, maybe I'm wrong, but somebody wants him. Somebody will pay a pony up for him. Uh, it's not the funniest thing. You guys see the Gronk uh, yearbook picture today? <laughs> Did we retweet that? There's a picture of uh, him in high school, and basically his hobbies are weightlifting, uh, sports, and chicks. And it's a picture of him in his basketball uniform. And they also oh, said, that wasn't be- that wasn't the yearbook photo. That was because he missed. Yeah, well, he missed a-, a free throw. That was in his yearbook, though. That hobbies thing. But you missed a free throw in that game on purpose at the end of the game to keep the score at 69. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's a great that. reason alone to keep him. Yeah, uh, I, I agree. You're going to keep him because how many more years does Brady have left? And you're going to give Brady every weapon he can to win as many yeah. titles as he can uh, before this era of Belichick and Brady ends. Great point. You're right. He's too good. And if they can win it without him, it's like, great. Imagine what we can do with him. What else you got? You'd like Bennett in this game? I mean, I like him better than Hooper and Levi and Toilelo. And, I mean, he's by far the best tight end in this game. Uh, it's not saying much. So, But I, I think he could be a factor near the red zone. And Lana's allowed some uh, tight end touchdowns this season. So I think he, he might be a decent bet for a score. You know, Edelman, I think he just gets fed with targets. Uh, Chris Hogan, I probably... You know, a stat correction off the lap, off the Julio Jones nine one hundred and two touchdown game. You know, there's gonna be a stat correction back to where, you know, he's in the four to five catch range, and he gets you know seventy yards like he's sort of been doing all season under the radar. And you know, the other guys are all gonna be there. I mean, we'll see if Michael Floyd's even active, but Malcolm Mitchell, you know, now that he's back in, but he's. He's out there on three wide receiver sets, but they're not targeting him like they were for a stretch. He, but he could be good for one or two, and now Danny Amendola is also getting a couple. So, 
There's just so many weapons. I don't know how you cover them all. You don't cover them all, and that's the that's the thing. But if you have to pick one, it's hard to pick. Like, it, you know. And at this point in time, I agree with you on the stat correction for Chris Hogan. He is going to have you know a comeback to reality uh, in this game. I don't know who it's going to be, but whoever Brady decides is, is the weak link in that Atlanta defense, whether that make, makes it become an Amendola or it makes it become a Malcolm Mitchell, I can see one of those two guys is the ones that I would pick to emerge in this game uh, from that standpoint. But I, I, all my money on Edelman, I agree with, with Bennett. He's not going to give you more unless he gets a big breakaway play, right? That's, that's what you need. He has to have one 25-plus yard play. If he does that, then he's good for probably 70 yards and has a good chance for a touchdown. If he doesn't have that, you're looking at like a 35- to 40-yard game and, and hope for a touchdown. Well, he was playing through an injury in the last game. Uh, is he still banged up or is he feeling He was limited in practice today. They're just, they're just taking it easy on him. They're taking it easy on everybody. Take it easy. Take, what's the music or, uh, you got today, Houdini? Uh, it's Cooking on Three Burners. This is a uh, Australian funk band from there from Melbourne. Uh, so we opened up with Cressy uh, Street Breakdown, and we'll be closing with Keb's Bucket. Creasy? Creasy. Creasy. Did you see that? That's why. Have you seen the movie Man on Fire yet? No. And did you notice, I remember I texted this to you, the week after we talked about Man on Fire, uh, the Ringer did a whole thing on the Man on Fire. Those guys at the Ringer, we know you listen, because I'm seeing stuff on your site and throughout your Twitter account that show me that out of nowhere you're talking about stuff that we're talking about. Well, your story is very compelling, Mr. Jackass. <laughs> it's true, I swear, I'm going to go do killer. <laughs> uh, what are you, beer are you drinking while we're doing this part of the show? Uh, yeah, so I got Anchor Brewing and uh, Go West IPA, young man. Good stuff. I'm drinking Deschutes Fresh Squeeze IPA, an old staple. Have been uh, staying away from it a little bit. Kind of got a little sick of it from drinking it too much for three years. But back on it, it's tasting as good as ever. Uh, I used to work right across the street in San Francisco from Anchor Brewery. Uh, it smelled like shit over there, but such an awesome brewery. I think they've been around since... 1896 or something like that. Pretty hardcore. That's an old one. I uh, love that beer. Um, oh, and, well, obviously, and obviously it, it's Chief Wiggum who's with us t- tonight. Oh, yeah. Okay, you just bought yourself a 317, pointing out police stupidity. Or is that a 314? No, no, 314 is a dog. Uh, in, no, or is that a 315? You're in trouble, pal. <laughs> Wiggums, stays. Let it rip. What do you got to say, buddy? I think we're good on the Patriots. Let's flip over to the other side. And let's well, how about Deion Lewis? You like Deion Lewis? I, I think he, his versatility is going to pay off for him in this game. Uh, I, I don't think he's going to do as much uh, damage in the run game. I think it's really going to be a lot more LeGarrette Blunt. I also don't see him being a major uh, target in the red zone, but I think he can give you a, a decent yardage with reception type game as well. So I just know. don't know if they want to throw him the ball. He's been in on like 50-50 run and pass plays. And a lot of times he's in there on pass plays. He's a pass protector. Uh, I, it seems like they're more comfortable throwing the ball to James White right now. and that's. But, yeah, is there a time to just unleash his you know, savageness in the receiving game? Could be now. But, I, I don't know. It's sort of tough to call. Deion Lewis, he's been so hit or miss. But I do think he's going to be you know, their kick returner again on a regular basis. And you look for the players that have done damage against 
you know, the these Atlanta Falcons, and they're typically the bigger guys. They're, you know, Christine Michael and Melvin Gordon and Ryan Matthews and David Johnson. There you they're go. All, they're all sort of the bigger guys, but we'll see how that works out. All right, well, let's flip it to Atlanta then. Cool. Well, uh, Atlanta's got the bummer situation of being one of 13 active NFL teams that has never won a Super Bowl. So they are trying to bring something down to Atlanta that's never happened before. Obviously, it'd be a great time to do this. Next year, they move into that awesome new stadium down there, the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. So that would be a, a good way to ring in the uh, new stadium by being Super Bowl champions. Uh, that stadium. So I, I they, you know, kept showing the outside shots, and then I finally saw like, the rendering of what it's going to do when it opens and closes. Yeah, that's, Holy hell, like is that lotus, awesome. It's like a lotus flower. It's like, it's awesome the way the the whole circular the whole circular thing is an LED screen where you see it yeah. at the top in the middle. I don't know how you're going to be able to see that, but you know we talked about it on a podcast last off season the fact that Arthur Blank's going to make it so it's affordable, so you can take your family and they're going to have packages where you can get like for 28 bucks four hot dogs, fries, and drinks, and they're going to really try and make it so that you don't have to break the bank. You know it's. Unbelievable, and you know, you guys know when you go to a Blackhawks game and you go to oh, Bears games. I mean, you know this. No. I only went to one Bears game, thank God, this year. But last year, I probably went to four or five. You go to a bunch every year. I only mean, one this the, year too. <laughs> the ticket itself, and I've got the wor- one of the worst seats in the house, one hundred and seventy-five bucks. Every beer is nine bucks. A hot dogs t- at nine bucks. You literally, by the end of the day, t- you get down there and you're having beers. You're like, holy! F- it's it's like a four hundred dollar day. And to see that product and see the Bears, it's tough. So I like Arthur Blank. Can, for the can fact I give you a little advice, though? Yeah. They have those clear plastic bags that you, whatever you yeah. can bring in. You can bring food with you into the into the stadium. Really? So when we tailgate, I just make extra food and then I eat that at halftime. So I never have to buy a stupid fucking hot dog. I mean, you can't bring beer in. Yeah. And their beer selection sucks. That Their beer selection sucks there. At Blackhawks, they got great beer selection. Yeah. Um, all right, let's go over to. We talked about the Falcons. Uh, they need to win a Super Bowl. Let's let's talk about them on the other side. They crushed um, as both teams crushed their opponents in the conference championships. But they came out and uh, pretty much spanked spanked Green Bay, uh, coming off high. You know they're high, high, high. To, they scored thirty three point eight points a game. Can they do that snag party in this game? Can they? You think they're going to do 24, but is there a possibility that they just get going early and it's just another one of these offensive uh, displays? I mean, sure, there's definitely those aspects. I mean, you look at New England and, you know, the defenses and or the offenses and the quarterbacks they faced this season, they're not, you know, a gauntlet of offenses. They haven't been put through the ringer. I mean, arguably, Ben Roethlisberger was the best passer they faced this year. You know, Russell Wilson and the Seattle Seahawks were the best offense they probably faced all year long. So, yeah, this is the the Matt Ryan-led Falcons are definitely the best offense that the Patriots have had to face all year. You can say that pretty much undoubtedly. Now, can the Patriots continue to do the things they've been doing you know, to all these pastors sort of over the last half of the season and sort of since that Jamie Collins trade, once they jettison that guy, they seem to just slowly turn it up a little bit. 
you know, Belichick was just tweaking the dials a little bit, and he's like, ah, I got something I want now. And now he's using Shane McClellan, an outside linebacker, then mid middle linebacker the next play. They're putting him down at the end, and they're moving these guys around, and Rose playing a little bit of slot corner, bouncing to the outside, moving to fucking safety, and it's just, God damn it, Bill, you asshole. You're so good. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? Uh, here's the one thing that we know. About Shane McClellan, we're not out of town stupid. Shane McClellan was here, was a, was middle linebacker for the Bears for a whole season. You wonder what he what doesn't do very well is tackle running backs as they're coming out after him. And I'm going to tell you what, Devonta Freeman and Tevin Coleman, but I think mostly Devonta Freeman this week is going to terrorize uh, New England. He's going to be that X factor that is just. How are we going to stop him? What do we have to do? Because I have, I have a feeling and a suspicion that they will be able to game plan where Julio Jones, I'm not necessarily saying that Julio's going to be taken out of this game, but I'm going to say Julio Jones is going to be severely minimized in, in this game. I don't think that they, I think they have a, a good way of being able to take receivers out, but when you have that dynamic running back where you can get the ball to in absolutely many different ways, and Freeman is one of those guys, I think he becomes the uh, him and Gabriel using like the jet sweeps and different things like that are going to set some things up. But I think I think Freeman takes a lot of advantage and he'll be the the second half adjustment that Bill will have to make. Yeah, well, you mentioned that Shane McClellan was our uh, we drafted that guy who didn't do crap for us with what pick was that? Nineteen. Nineteen. Well, you know, a guy that went at number twenty nine that year. That we could have had Harrison Smith. Oh my God, Janoris there's Jenkins, bunch of Alshon Jeffrey. We got, uh, but yeah, there's a lot of a lot of players that turned out to be all right. Russell Wilson, obviously. Who were like the next couple picks? T.Y. Hilton, Cousins. Um, after him, McClellan was uh, Chandler Jones, Dante yeah, Hightower, Chandler Jones. Castro, offensive lineman. Yeah, just we not. wanted Aaron Donald, who went, I believe, one or two picks before. No, yeah. that was a different draft. Was it? Yep. Yeah, maybe, I don't remember who, but uh, yeah, too bad we didn't get him, and that was uh, that was the year the Luck got drafted, so that was 2012. Um, but what did, what do you expect out of the running game? Do you guys do you think they they're going to try and do a ground and pound with Devontae? Are they going to be using both of them, thunder and lightning? How, how do you? I don't foresee a ground and pound style attack, but I see them using the running backs a lot. And they're mostly going to use them on the outside. They're going to try to get them out in space and, you know, see where they can do damage against those linebackers, see if those guys really are good tacklers all of a sudden. I mean, we've got, you know, Van Wah and, you know, Shea McClellan and other guys that they're going to try to get these, you know, speedy running backs on, and that's that could be the difference. I don't see them trying to run it up the middle 35 times in this game to try to beat the Patriots because that just never seems to work. Um, you look at their rushing numbers on a per temp basis. You know, you're not going to be wowed by the Patriots, but they will. You know, they take you out of your element. They make you stop running, and then they don't let you score rushing touchdowns. But they do allow sort of running backs to catch the ball against them. There, the both these teams are bad against opposing pass catching running backs. You know what I loved about the. Uh, the Packers game, first play of the game, was one of my favorite plays that I remember seeing in a long time. I just don't know why more teams don't do it. I, I guess I do because there's a, a possibility of fumble. But that quick pitch, 
They did, a, they did a pitch out to the right, and it was a thing of beauty, a nice little underhand pitch from Ryan out to Devonta Freeman, and it just set the tone. He got like nine nine yards on his first carry, just like right out there. The ball's being pitched, and it goes probably seven yards from the uh, quarterback to the running back. Like that, that just opens up so many opportunities for an offense because the ball's in the running back. You don't have to have a white, slow quarterback run over to him and hand him. Everyone kind of knows by the time it's handed off where it's going. You Pitch it. It's just like in the running back's hands before the play can really set up. And I, I remember just watching that game a couple weeks ago and being like, "Damn, why don't I see that play much anymore?" It's that run one- on one percent of all offensive snaps, and basically it's because players aren't good at running it. They they <laughs> average three yards per carry on offensive toss plays. Uh, this is one of the major debates about Leonard Fournette. Is most of his yardage comes off the power toss. Uh, which really isn't applicable to the NFL just because your linebackers are so much faster and your safeties are so much faster. Huh. And the speed on defense is just so much different than it is at the college level. Well, the, I love the way it looks. And I, know, go ahead. I know what you were saying, though, about how, you know, why don't they use it more? Well, because lately, you remember games, it's like things when they start out. First play, pitch, oh, he drops yeah. the ball, and they have to re- recover. But go back to our childhood. Watching Walter Walter Payton, Payton. that was his play. That was his play. (laughs) Toss him the ball and go into space. But they did that. that. Why did they do that? Because their line sucked shit. And you had to get him the ball. Shit. Holy fuck. uh, (laughs) They were horrible. The, go back. To, I'm talking about 1977 through oh, 1981. Yeah. Okay, that was the. I was. I was going to say. Noah Jackson was, was your best offensive lineman. Every time they say hike, and he would just kind of scoot out to the right till he got the ball pitched to him, and then he'd be like, "All right, where? What hole do I want to hit?" Um, Barry Sanders was kind of similar uh, in the same fashion because he had a horrible line too. Yeah, it looked so good. I just remember seeing that play, and I was just like. How come I don't see this very often? I guess you're right. One percent of the plays. Uh, very interesting. So I, I think. Could this be the game um, that, you know, we always talk about how Belichick takes away the best player. Is this a game that uh, you can stop or contain Julio, or is Julio just always going to get his? I know Sherman, I saw an interview with him, he's like, Julio's unstoppable, and this is the best cover guy in the league. He's basically, he's just, Julio's always going to be Julio. Um, Is it going to be something where Julio can get stopped, or is Julio going to be able to have a, a nice monster game? Well, let me, let, me, let me justify what I was saying before, how I think he's going to get minimized. Because I think that you're, what they're not going to allow happen is for Julio to beat them downfield on that deep 50-60 yard play. If anyone's going to beat them on that 50-60 yard play, it's going to be Taylor Gabriel. They're going to make sure that Julio has bracket-type coverage. They're going to make sure that they have somebody over the top almost every time. And they're, they're just going to... Try to they're gonna to try to be aggressive with him as much as they can off the line because they know that they're gonna have help behind it. So Julio's gonna to have to work extra hard. Does that mean it can't be done? No. I mean, you know, look at look at, go back to a, a type of game that he could have, and this guy did it with, with a broken leg. Remember with Terrell Owens in the in the yeah. Super Bowl? Remarkable, right? And they were all over him, and he was just he'll just making plays. That was against Patriots. Yeah. Just make a place, so that's what he's going to have to do. Back when he was on Philadelphia, one of his eight teams that he stuck with for a minute. So you got anything to say, Stakes? Yeah, I, I sort of think Julio's going to get his. I don't think he's going to go off for a huge, you know, 10-catch performance again. But I do think they're going to allow, you know, a soft corner against him in some situations uh, and allow him to pick up some yards after the catch. And I think the Patriots are just solid tacklers, as they always seem to be. 
uh, that are going to be able to get him on the ground, to, you know, unlike that 73-yard scamper he had a couple weeks ago against the Packers. So I, I think there's just a lot of different aspects that are going to go into the coverage. I do agree it's mostly going to be Brackett. I don't think he's going to get matched up with Malcolm Butler one-on-one in too many situations. Just seems like a bad, you know, play, but... Is Malcolm Butler going to be out there on, you know, locking down Taylor Gabriel? Uh, if they're going to run bracket on Julio? Yeah. So then I don't really like the aspect of, you know, Gabriel getting deep and getting open. And plus, you know, in games that Julio is healthy, he only sees three or four targets a game. How much of an impact player can he be in such limited targets? Well, that's the whole thing. It's just because he, he made the big chunk plays that you think he's that much bigger part of an offense. What he can be is more of a decoy and a distraction. And the person that, that will tend to benefit from this is going to have to be Mohamed Sanu. And Sanu's going to have to, to step yeah. up his game. And I'll tell you what, I'm going to give Mohamed Sanu a lot of credit this week because of all the crap that's been going on, you know, not to be political or anything with the, with the, with the, with the country, with the immigration stuff. He's... Muslim. He's like the only Muslim player that's ever played in the Super Bowl, I think. No, some others have, but he's definitely the, the only, only one this year. Okay, this year. this year. And they're asking him all the questions about it. And to his credit, he says, I'm here to play football. You know, it's like there might be another time and place when, I, when I'll answer that, and then, you know, maybe at that time, but not, not to get involved in it in any way, shape, or form. I think. Both of these teams have done a hell of a job uh, not creating any yeah. controversy, which is why everyone's talking about LeBron James and uh, Charles, Charles Barkley. Barkley. <laughs> uh, funny. And you know, the one thing that I know that I read about is the fact that the NFL has censored their transcripts. Basically, the transcript on Tom Brady being asked about the Flake Gate and Goodell and actually being answered, asked by a reporter about the whole Trump thing. You know, his buddies with him. He had a Make America Great hat in his mm-hmm. locker uh, last um, preseason. And basically, he answered a couple quick questions about it, and they're not in the, those. Both of those answers and questions are not in the transcript. <laughs> so the NFL is 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 ch- changing the course of history in their transcripts. Uh, fucking crazy. Let's bring it back with a Faraday. Better pop, man. Weak. Bounced. See and caught, Simpson. Oh, and uh, bring that evidence with you. Otherwise, I got no case, and you'll go scot free. You know. Yes, yes. Release them. Uh, so, hitting up it. on the other aspects, I do think this is a game where, you know, Tevin Coleman could get a little bit more run. And they use him on the outside and use him as more of a receiver with that big play threat. And maybe they, they throw out some jet sweep style plays with Tevin Coleman coming around the edge and Devonta Freeman there just running the power. So I think we're going to see some interesting things, you know, from Kyle Shanahan sort of showcasing what he can do with an offense with all these weapons. And I'm excited to just see the play call, personally. What I'm curious about is, and I don't know if you have um, the, uh, the, the ratio or the numbers on it as far as in the offense for when Devonta Freeman and Tevin Coleman, were they how often, if ever, I don't know. I don't think I've ever seen it where they were both on the field at the same time. Do you think that this is also maybe one of those things because it's a Super Bowl, because they're both dynamic players, that you're going to come up with a few more times where you want to have them both on the field in order to create mismatches in the defense? As famously repeated in the Waterboy about 10 million times, you know, you got to get your plus players on the field now. I can't hold anything back. <laughs> uh, we got it. We got it. Uh, 
Yeah, I think that's something that they do try because they have very rarely had both those guys in the field at the same time. Right. So whether it's out of shotgun sets or in two split backs or sort of in the wildcat vein, I think we can see both those guys on the field at the same time just because, you know, you add a different dimension, you add, you know, something for them to think about, and then you can do it. And then also I think, you know, Tevin Coleman's going to have some designed pass plays in his game. He's going to have some screen passes heading his way. He's going to have some quick hitters just to see if he can get get up to that top speed and show it off. Uh, other than that, I mean, the tight ends, you know, each has sort of gotten work. Levine Tolilo has been out there. Uh, you know, Hooper, working back from injury, has been out there, and I think they'll both be... Well, they're out there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're getting some targets and against the Patriots. Sure, you're you know, saying they're playing. But, but, but the thing with them is that they're not getting targets where they're actually the go-to receiver on the route. They're getting the check-down targets. So, uh, you know... Sure, but having a check-down is better than not having anything. Well, like, but... there used to be a point when you couldn't throw the ball to Levine Tolilo... Because it was physically a negative for your offense. It's not a negative anymore. I don't even try and say that. Physically a negative. Like, you're, you're, it, they, they physically become negative. <laughs> the formation. Don't get Stags all fired up. He's got, he's, <laughs> he's had to say Levine Tulililo three times already this podcast. A word that I never try and say even once. Hey, come on. You did me twice. <laughs> well, it's good to see that George Bush. Um, senior will be out there on the field doing the flip, a Texan, Texas native. I don't know if he's from Houston, but uh, so he had, well, he, they weren't they both? They were both in the hospital a couple weeks ago. Yeah, they were. Barber, so he's going to be healthy enough to um, to um, <laughs> to uh, flip the coin, and that's good news. Uh, so always, always, uh, they always call heads. I guess let's uh, let's see what's going on. Do they always call heads? Well, let's I don't see. think they always call heads. Patriots love heads and coin toss. Oh, Patriots! Oh, yeah, the Patriots. Sorry, uh, Super Bowl betters bank on it. So they're, they're they go heads every year. Bookmarkers, bookmakers make a lot of goofy Super Bowl bets known as prop bets, and one of those is that the Patriots are going to call heads. Who knows? Well, do uh, the Patriots have the call? Are they the one that gets the call? I don't even know how. I don't even know really how that works. Because is the, that do you get? Is it the home team, I, or does it go every other year? Do they away, go away team calls? But uh, Patriots should be the home. team. They should be the home team. They have the they have the best record. So so they're not going to get it. So that's but that's the yeah, other advantage mind. that I'll give to Atlanta is having a better chance than some of the teams that have faced the Patriots as of late. Patriots are not playing in Foxborough. This is a game that doesn't have weather as, as a, a, a factor, and uh, you don't have necessarily a favorable New England crowd. I, I don't, I don't, well, we'll see how well Atlanta fans travel because Atlanta is a transient city, so they should be used to traveling. I got a question for you. <laughs> Who do you want to win the game? I, um, I, I have to because... I, my, where my allegiances and my new family lie, I am definitely rooting for the Atlanta Falcons. But you don't think they will? <laughs> I think I think New England's going to win. Yeah. <laughs> what, who do you who do you who do you uh, want to win? I'm in the same boat. I mean, I've wanted the Falcons to go all the way pretty much since the start of the playoffs. I had them going all the way, you know, through the NFC plus side, and I had the Patriots beating them, so. I sort of had it, like my bracket's going pretty much to play in so far, but I, I want the Falcons to win the game. 
I want the Falcons to win. I want Julio to get his first ring. I want Matt Ryan. I want the team. Oh, Everyone to get yeah, a ring. For, I was in Atlanta for my first time back, back in May at that Shaky Knees Festival. I had a great time. The people down there are awesome. I love just the, the, the city. was fucking awesome. I loved it. Uh, I remember we stayed at the hotel. We could see the new stadium being built. That would be awesome. And you know what? I'm, I, you know, I'm, an, I'm a Patriots fan, too. I like Brady. I like, I like Belichick. I know that's weird. And I'm one of those guys that I'm a Bears fan, a Niners fan and kind of a Patriots fan, but I'd like to go and see um, Atlanta win this one. I'm going to say I think they can do it. I think Atlanta's going to win. I think they're going to come out. I think that brotherhood that I talked about on the show a little bit last week, I think just that the youth, the way that these guys are in it together, seems like they're focused. Their, their main stars aren't out there worried about anything else. I mean, Julio Jones, that guy, just no... Compare Julio Jones to friggin' the other biggest uh, star in that wide receiver, Antonio Brown. They're like night and day. One guy you don't hear a peep out of, the other guy's always doing stupid shit and loves the Video, Videotaping in the yeah, locker room just, after a game. Julio's just like, you never see him bitching about anything. He gets held on all, all sorts of plays. People try and rough him up because he's such a big guy. And the guy just never, even, even when he fucks up a play, he just like, he's like, just always equilibrium. It's always the same. When he drops a pass, he's not like, damn it, flipping out. He's just like, okay, you douchebag. Why'd you do that? You're not going to do that again. I just love that guy's game in a, in, a, in a position, in a sport where you've got the diva, um, you know, archetype. You've got Julio Jones, who's, in my opinion, the best wide receiver in the league. Um, he would have been if he didn't get all those injuries this year. Put up some just insane stats. Um, He's just my favorite player in the league, so I'm all in for him going. But the beautiful thing about this Super Bowl, which isn't like previous ones, either winner, I'm happy for. I just want a good freaking game, and you know, if, if the Patriots win it again, there's good there. Edelman, I love that guy. Uh, one of the few Jews in the league, uh, so you got to be happy for that. Uh, Houdini. There you go. And you see after that last game where they won, his supermodel wife, Lima or whatever, coming up, like, my lover, and kissing him. He's like, one more. <laughs> you prick. Good work. Yeah. Adriana Lima, yeah. super yeah. girlfriend. Must not, be nice. Not uh, she just comes up like, love, you want games again? Like, yeah, we got one more. I'm going to pound the crap out of you tonight, honey. Hey. Well, Who's gonna done, man? Hey, welcome to the tribe. Welcome uh, to the things tribe. Things are gonna be much different for him than the last time he won the Super Bowl. Yeah. Ended up on that girl's Tinder or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. The, the little she did the little shot at the end, like, "Hey, I slept with uh, Edelman." <laughs> it's only two years ago. It is only two years ago. But the other reason why I'm a uh, uh, a big fan of uh, Atlanta for this is Arthur Blank, dude. That's the coolest owner. In in uh, he's like the market. Why do you guys like this dude? Why? I like him, him doing the dancing in the in the locker room at the end. Like, I like. I he's like a sharp dressed man. That guy's like he looks like money, but he's, he's he cares about that team and he puts the tries to put the best product on the field. And look, you have the McCaskies here who are running our team into the ground and don't seem to ever have any type of a a sense of what is going on and they're they're always two steps behind everybody else. Atlanta was was a, a down team, and look look how he's he's resurrected them a bunch of different times. Yeah. So, he, you know where he made his money? Home Depot. Home Depot. De- no more homo. Homo Depot. What was that movie? That, what was that movie with? Uh, um, ah, never mind. <laughs> I don't know. What's that was a big thing about? that you that you they used to say like back in the uh, early thousands with it. Uh, the gay men would go meet at uh, Home Depot. Oh. They, they, there was a movie with um, with the one guy. Uh, 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 oh, geez, 
Zoolander. What's, who's, who plays Zoolander? Ben Stiller. Yeah, Stiller. What's the movie where he goes to Home Depot and, he, and they do a stakeout and he gets arrested? Oh, yeah. That, uh, uh, the oh, Night's sh- Watch or something? Neighborhood Watch? Neighborhood Watch? I yeah. don't know. But well, it's in Glenview, but it's not Illinois. It was Glenview somewhere else. I don't know. It's hilarious. But they were playing yeah. on that whole thing. So Arthur Blank... Uh, I wish you luck. I'm all well, in. We went a long way around. On yeah, that. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, 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 it's been a long day and week. And Take I, a lap, I'm, have I'm, a drink. Yeah, I'm going to have a swig here. Oh, yeah, hold on. Val Verde. There we go. There. Okay, folks. Show's over. Nothing to see here. Show's Oh, my God. A horrible plane crash. Hey, everybody, get a load of this flaming wreckage. Come on, crowd around. Run around. Don't be shy. Crowd around. Uh, anything else we got for the Super Bowl? No, I'm trying to find out this Ben Stiller movie. Yeah, I forget which one it is. I think Neighborhood Watch sounds the right. They were like that. That's uh, the I, Watch. The Watch. Maybe. No, I think that's a different character, though. I feel like that's. Uh, Otherwise, I'm thinking of uh, of uh, Will Ferrell in Old School. Got a big weekend planned. Uh, Gonna go to the Home Depot. <laughs> you know, maybe uh, maybe go <laughs> rank the tank. Yeah, I got. I got nothing for this movie. Ben Stiller movies isn't working. So what was the same? It's also Vince Vaughn, so he was also in the movie. And uh, yeah, Vince Vaughn was in the Watch, but it oh, wasn't okay. so Ben this, Stiller. That, that's not. Oh, so this is a different. It movie. doesn't matter. But it was. It was just funny. That yeah, was, was Ben Stiller. Damn right it was. Damn straight. All right, let's go. All right, we're gonna have a. See now. See now. We we finished the Super Bowl. It's officially off season, and now we just start having stupid conversations on the podcast. You know, because because we can, we can. can. Uh, Stags is going to roll us back in. He's going to get us back on on the on in, in the right frame of mind, and that's all right. We respect him for it. Um, me and Houdini are crazy madmen, <laughs> and uh, that's just the way it is. Um, I got nothing else to say. I'm excited for the game. We're back to the numerals X or uh, what? L I uh, Super Bowl Fifty One. Let's make sure. I just want a good one. I want to see some good commercials. I want to eat a lot of food, drink a lot of Val Verde's, and uh, we'll see. I just hope it's one of those ones that comes down to the final drive, final play, and be the best team win. I agree, and I think before we get to the next segment, I think we should take some time to keep the lights on. Good call. All right, excellent. Well, you know, some interesting things have happened uh, in NFL uh, this week. The 49ers have signed John Lynch. Uh, we'll just t- talk about some news that's going around the NFL right now before we get into this tier stuff. Uh, John Lynch, I'm so, you guys know I'm a Niner guy, so excited about this hiring. I think it's absolutely awesome. Smart guy, good guy, respected guy, no bullshit kind of guy. I love, Stags doesn't, isn't buying into this. Um, but I love the story that I'm hearing that basically he had, basically he, he went to them and said he had a relationship with Shanahan. He's like, hey, I'm interested in this job. I, I know Shanahan, and I think we can do this together. And basically he tested the franchise and was like, if you guys can keep my candidacy a secret and you guys can show that there's not a, a leak in the, in the franchise you know, over the next couple of weeks, I'd be interested in getting the job. And this is a smart guy. I've heard the word genius has been thrown around with him. He's a Stanford player. Uh, I just really like what the stability that he's going to be able to bring at the GM position. You know who got a, him the job? John Elway. Great. Him and John Elway are boys. John Elway put the call into the 49ers to Jed York himself. And that's how he got the job. 
Great. Uh, Amen. John Owens. Nothing pretty, wrong pretty with that. Pretty successful guy. Yeah. Uh, not bad to not, uh, a, not a bad voucher. Uh, unfortunately, you know, he's got those friends and I got friends in lonely places. <laughs> what what's he done like to prove that he's gonna be a, a viable candidate? For this position, they gave him a five-year deal. Six. He's been he's been calling games on the uh, television. I mean, I mean, what else do you need? He let's be honest. <laughs> he, he was a captain. I think every year he played in the league. He's a smart guy. He's played. He's a Super Bowl winner. He's played under Gruden, so he's 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 learned and played with great coaches. He played with Gruden and Dungey. Mm-hmm. Um, and did he play? And he played uh, with Shanahan, right? Or no, that was afterwards. That was uh, that would have been afterwards, probably. Um, but he's got a lot of people that he can learn and soak in from. And this is a guy that's been around the game. I know he's just been an announcer, but he's been around football nonstop, talking about the game and learning the game. I think he's sometimes you need a fresh face. You, when you go to that, that's why I hated what the Bears did with our Fox. And you're just going, you know what you're going to get. Take a chance with a smart person. I like that. You're gonna you're gonna set a whole new stage instead of being like, oh, this guy's done okay before, but we know he's just gonna be all right again. So I I think the Niners need that. They'll get Shanahan. Uh, one thing we didn't mention is Shanahan bad gate uh, for the Super Bowl. Did you guys hear that story nope. during the media thing? Someone stole Shanahan's bag that had the playbook in it. <sighs> And he, so he did not have the playbook for 15 or 20 minutes or something. And he even said there was a quote that said, I'm stressed out. So if the Patriots smoke them and it looks like they friggin' had knew the plays, then whoever stole that, I guess it's a 49, it was a 49er uh, media guy, thought, it was, thought he was grabbing his own bag. He probably was Xeroxing for Belichick. <laughs> the thing is, <laughs> well, uh, like, yeah. any playbook doesn't matter. Knowing somebody's playbook doesn't matter worth the they shit. They sometimes leave them out on purpose. Yeah. yeah that's what that's what uh, PK Ripper said. He's like, what if Shanahan did that on purpose and it was a, it was a fake one? I'm like, well played, Shanahan. Yeah, I mean, the things that matter during a game are like hand signals. You know, Spygate matters a lot more than Baggate or whatever you got around to calling it. Baggate sounds like knowing their signals and knowing you know their audibles are things that matter much much more. Than seeing a team's play. Can I say one thing before you go? On the on the Lynch front, remember his Super Bowl that he won when Gruden had come from um, the Oakland Raiders, and then he was coaching his first year uh, with for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and friggin' um, the coach that replaced him, Bill Callahan, Callahan did not change the play calling or the audibles. The audibles didn't change anything from the offense. So literally, John Lynch. Goes after the first drive, comes to the sideline. Another reason why I like this guy, and he goes to friggin' um, uh, Gruden. He goes, Gruden, they have not changed the place. We know what they're calling. And then first year coach Bill, he was fired after they lost that. The guy did not change a thing about the mm-hmm. offense and was playing the guy who constructed. That was the dumbest. I'm a Rice guy. Rice had a great Super Bowl in that game, and they almost. They, I was just like, how the hell could you be that fucking stupid? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. So going back to circling back before this whole playbook thing, we're talking about Lynch, and you were saying, how can you trust him? And so here's what I'm going to say. You know what? D-Rex made the very compassionate case for his, his legacies and all this stuff and all the people he may have learned from. 
I would be more concerned if you're worrying about him in this position. Who does he surround himself with? You know, if you are you know, the big balls in the room, then you don't care and you'll bring in uh, the best guys to put around you. Give me the, you know, when you think about like a case in point of like a guy like Mike Tomlin. Is Mike Tomlin, who has, uh, you know, uh, who, who's the guy that was Haley. the head coach? Haley, who was the head coach in Arizona. Uh, who, who's he had called his, de- his deep? Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. And who's he had called his defense? It was like Dick LeBeau, who was yeah. like, could have been the head coach at any point in time. If he struggled, we could just have LeBeau run the team. He didn't care. There's big balls in the room. And I think if John Lynch is that type of guy, and if he brings in the best people, don't have to be the ego where you have to be the smartest guy in the room, but be the guy that can cut through the bullshit. And I think that's where, from what you're saying, I think he can do. But I want to wait and see, you know, if you really want to look into that thing, how successful can he be? I want to know who he's really surrounding himself. Who's got his ear? Who's he? Who's he? Uh, who, who's pulling some strings? The thing is about being the biggest balls in the room is he's not. He works under Shanahan. Like, they've already said that Shanahan's going to have say on the final roster and the entire roster and all decisions on personnel are his. So he's just a figurehead. Well, like, here's what's more important here. When you've got Jed York, a fucking idiot who thinks that his shit don't stink and thinks that he's earned this position instead of been born into it um, from DeBartolo, he... What I love about a, a Lynch is that in, in any meeting, in any situation, Lynch is going to be like, listen, you worry about... The franchise. You worry about making money. You worry about selling tickets. You worry about making this thing more fluid from a business end. I'm gonna deal with the football side. Shut the fuck up. Go manage your, your shopping malls. Go fly back to Cleveland and say hi to Eddie every once in a while. We got this covered. You fucked things up enough the first time around, buddy. I, I, I think that I hope that's true for you. But as you are, you know, you're, you're many teams of of, of of across nature, but you're also Three. a basketball guy. Yeah. So. You know who I think you might be getting is John Paxson. No way! Uh-oh. Don't say that. That hurts. that hurts. I think I think that that could be the kind of the situation. We'll know, we'll know quickly. I think he's a smart guy. Anyway, I like it's the first good news we've had in a while for, for this. I didn't mean, I didn't mean to rain on your parade. No, it's all good. Hey, buddy, it's, I mean, it could happen. When you talk about the people he brings in, though, he's already brought in one of his most important sort of protégés or people to work along with him, and Adam Peters, who had been with the Denver Broncos and been a part of their sort of player uh, department. I think he was in scouting before, but now he's going to switch over to be the vice president of player personnel. Highly, highly regarded around the league. People are loving that hire. For this team, so I think that's you know that aspect of him bringing in people, and also he says he wants to bring in some you know people that he has connections with and relationships with. So while I think he could be a good figurehead, I just don't know where they're going to go in the scouting aspects and how they're going to find players because this is one of the most talent depraving teams in the fucking league. They, what, won two games this year? And you can see the lack of talent across the board. You know, Colin Kaepernick could opt out, and then they're left with, what, Blaine Gabbert? Jay Cutler. Yeah, Jay Cutler. Like, they're, they're going to go after somebody, or they're going to draft somebody at number two. Um, so there's just all those sort of things. I just don't know how, you know, John Lynch is going to be the guy to suddenly scout the players to get this team you know, a functioning team. Sometimes you could have the figurehead who, who's great when there's already a team. But I think what they should have done is a couple of years ago, when the issue started, 
You fire fucking what's his face? Jed York. No, not Jed York. You can't be obviously. And keep and keep Harbaugh. We'd still <laughs> no, be- but you promote Harbaugh and let him run the organization and get rid of your fucking general manager and go well, from there. But but maybe this is actually that's this is when you said John Lynch isn't even doing anything. It's Kyle Shanahan who's got to make all the choices. This is a very shrewd move. If you're a team that is depraved of talent, then uh, realistically, the Bears were one of these type of teams, and anyone who was like, oh yeah, by the third year we're going to be competing. No, you really need three solid years of drafts, and then you can compete. So, you know, they need to have good drafts, and unfortunately... You, you know, you look at the players that they've been drafting at their skill positions, the Quinton Pattons and, and these other type of players, you're not getting any real impact players. Carlos Hyde, maybe the best player that you've, that you've drafted. You've let guys like Michael Crabtree go. So and, and then replace them with high contracts with, from, uh, what's the guy? That Tory, Smith. Tory Smith. Oh, right. Geez. In, yeah, addition, in addition to that, these guys are also going to get a late jump on the game. Yeah, right. You know, they, they're not going to have a way to sort of this tell the scouting department this is what we're looking for because they're not going to be able to start to what, next Monday? Yeah. yeah. And it's not even their scouting department right now. It's still the old, whatever yep. the old regime had set up there. Look at like when, when Theo Epstein came into Chicago to take over the Cubs. He revamped the entire scouting department. They, like, I think they grew up by like 500%. They added so much more personnel. So it's one of those things. Is he is is, is York going to give him the leeway to say, run the departments the way that you want? I want this many more people in scouting. I want this many more people in this. Or is it just going to be? Is he just kind of going to run things the way that they've been run? In which I case, it's going to be changed. But yeah. anyway, it's going to be exciting to see. I think there's one more time on list that I thought we were going to. Yeah, say. no, of course, hey, it's it's a, it's, a, it's an interesting thing. This team needs help. Uh, there's a respect level that has been missing for a long time since our hardball left. Um, let's go into segment number two, uh, and essentially in this part of the show, we are going to be talking about tears. I think. The first thing I would like to do is just kind of give a, a quick primer. I think a lot of our listeners know what tiers are, and tiers have become certainly more popular in fantasy football. I think we've really been uh, at the forefront and pioneering of that. I can't remember another site talking about tiers before pyromaniac.com. I still, when I see a lot of people talking about tiers, um, get a sense that they have no idea what, how tiers really work. Guys like Eric Carabell and stuff like that, it's just, you know... I don't know. Let's just give a quick primer. Uh, we've done this on. We, we'll, we'll, this will be our first show of tears, and we'll probably do another show in a couple, few months during the off season. That is our deep dive uh, tears heading into the 2017 season. So some of the things we talk about, giving you the background on tears and why we use them, will be you know reiterated then. In the same way we've talked about some of these things on previous shows last year and the previous four years to that. But uh, in general, I just want to do a little roundtable discussion on, on, on why we like tiers and why we think there's such an advantage over just using someone, uh, a draft sheet or a top 20 player list. And uh, let's give that kind of conversation so people can get in their mind like, okay, I use a magazine or I do my rankings, I go into a draft this way. What do tiers bring to the table that just make it such the most beneficial approach? 
Well, for me, it's about it's simplifying it. Okay, this is all about making it easy for you on draft day. How you're looking at all of the players. So instead of let's let's think for example that you're looking at uh, we're going to compare two different people. One person is looking at a top hundred sheet. They just have a list of players, a hundred all the way down. Um, or I'll even give you three players. Another guy's just got a list of every position and has the players listed all the way down. And then you, who is using tiers, and you do your tiers based on position, are looking at one sheet that has everybody on there, but in tiers. So what, what a tier section, the big differentiator is that you have the separators are big drop-offs, where there is a big separation of talent, that this guy is really part of this group that could be, you know, you have like, you could, let's just look at it for a base example, 1,000-yard receivers, right? So you have your receivers who you have who are above 1,000 yards. Once you get to the last person of, of all the 1,000-yard receivers, right there, that's one of your tier breaks. And, and, and is, is, is how are the fantasy points going to be distributed? So, you know, another way, you know, you have all your different factors that you come in, but when you factor in yards and touchdowns and catches if it's PPR, where are the big drops? Because there's always where you have a group of players and then there's the next group where it's like you can see the big slight drop down between them. And so what you're doing is on draft day being able to identify instead of the guy who's looking at a straight list of players and these two players are listed next to each other you see those two players as one guy is the last guy in the tier above and the next guy who's in the lower tier so you know there's a big difference between those two it's not just one position and I think if, even if it's not a huge difference or a big difference, it's a distinguishable difference. And that's kind of how you can group in and give a Tier 1 guy versus a Tier 2 or, say, a Tier 4 versus a Tier 5 guy. And I think I like your point on that. But also, for me, my beautiful thing, my thing that I love most about it is printing it out on a sheet. You can do it on your, uh, you know, on a spreadsheet on your computer. Uh, but I love being able to see... Not just position by position one at a time, which when you've got a magazine or you've got a top 200 ranking, everything kind of is like, oh, you got quarterbacks running in a top 200 uh, ranking list. you got quarterbacks with wide receivers, with running backs, tight ends. It's just kind of a smorgasbord where when in, with tiers, you've got a column for quarterbacks, a column for running backs, a column for wide receivers, and a column for uh, tight ends. You can put kickers and defenses in there. I put rookies in my rookie league as well. And now what I can do is when I'm thinking and I'm going around as my pick and I'm doing a pick the best player value style drafting, I can see who I'm zoning in, I know who's taken and who I can get in the running back, and I can compare those top two guys on my tiers to say another position. And I can in that kind of bird's eye view see, all right, well, I've got here the, my 17th and 18th running back, but wow, over here, I'm sitting here and I'm sitting at number, still available as number three tight end. I don't have a tight end. And now there's a distinguishable drop off there. I love that bird's eye view so I can be fluid in going from position and not always just drafting off a list and saying, oh, I got the next best guy. I got the next best guy. Um, and yeah, I've got more to say on it, but go for it. No, no, I, I just want to add to what you're saying yeah. and then kick it back to you. So, because also what you mentioned is when you say you have a column for this, a column for that, a column for that. This is all on one piece of paper, people. Yeah. So instead of having to flip through pages as he's saying like with everybody else oh wait, wait let me see what my running backs are let me see you have it as, as, as he's saying this is that bird's eye view which is perfect but again it's being able to see where's your relative value yeah. 
Yeah. Where where am I gonna? So when you're looking at it, and you say I have, and you're knowing, like especially like if you're at a wrap on a on a, on a pick, right? You have the seven pick of a ten team draft. Okay, I know that I have uh, eight, nine, ten, ten, nine, eight. These are the picks that are coming for me. I have four guys left in this tier that I want. They already have three of these players already picked. I'm gonna get one of those guys. I'm not gonna reach there, but here. I have one guy left in the tier, and these other players that are drafting after me need that position. It also lets you say, even though these two players may be comparable, or you may be even drafting the player that is lower on the overall draft board, but based on tiers, you choose it differently. What do you got? You got and I, I love. I love also just. I'll give you kind of a, a handoff on instead of just having you throw in. It's something you brought up last week was how uh, quarterback and tight ends to you because there's only one of each of those. In it playing on a weekly basis, unless you're in a two quarterback league or you're using a tight end, obviously as a flex. But um, using when you've got a position that you only need one guy in your starting lineup versus the running back and wide receiver position, don't you think tiers helps you there, where you can really distinguish that right moment to pounce on your quarterback or your tight end? I got the sense from what you mentioned last week that you thought that those positions were less valuable because you only have to play one of them. Not less valuable, but less in a draft. You're, you're not as concerned about going after those two spots because you can stream them because you only need to fill one of them. Yeah, I mean, that's sort of the way the numbers have just bore out over the last 5, 10 you know, 15 years, especially at the quarterback position, you don't need to go high to get one. You can wait. So, you know, having tiers, and then everybody's going to, you know, next year you're going to be trying to pay up for Aaron Rodgers in the second round when it, it just Matt looks Ryan, like... Matt Ryan, who is I, I don't. I don't think Matt Ryan's going to get into the Aaron Rodgers territory. But he goes up to a fourth-round pick. Yeah, he maybe. He was a 12th-round pick this year. Yeah, definitely. But... You know, just seeing that value and knowing you can wait and, you know, the player you have who's maybe the 12th, or maybe you don't even have 12. Maybe you hit, like last year, how many, how many quarterback ones were there per se? If you look at the final numbers and you look at the end of season tiers, there's a pretty good group that scored like 260 fantasy points. Uh, you you know, have your end of season tiers has one tier one quarterback. Well, and not, that's not one tier, not tier. You're one saying the top QB ones, okay. like guys gotcha. you're comfortable starting gotcha. yeah, on gotcha. a weekly basis. Uh, you know, looking at guys who scored like 260 fantasy points last year, there, there was a good number of them, and you're not nine. You're not afraid, and you're in a ten team league that's right there. You know, with the you know QBs you need, and there's also guys. Who on a per week basis were better than that? The Marcus Mariotas, you know, the uh, Derek Carrs who ended up getting injured, you know, got if even if you push that down a little bit, you put it down to two uh, uh, two fifty five, which is just a five point difference, and over the course of a season, it's like less than half a point a game. So there's fifteen players in that sort of group. So what you're saying is, I'll take that small relative drop. As, and make sure that I get the higher tier guys at wide receiver and running back because the difference that if I wait by drafting that quarterback high, 
and dropping down in those tiers is more because of also you have to start multiples. Yeah, you can build, you can beef up and draft more of those guys as well. Yeah. And he's and Stags has been showing that he's he's willing to be a quarterback and a tight end streamer, and it's showed effectiveness for him for the reasons he's saying. You look, I mean, literally a tight end. If we did end of season tiers, there's. Uh, one tight end in Tier 1, with, uh, and that's Kelsey at 221 points. Then Tier 2's got Rudolph and, and Olsen. Anyone think that Rudolph would be yeah. the, the second highest uh, scoring uh, tight end? No. To, and that goes to... And that's in PPR? Uh, this is PPR scoring, yeah. Uh, sorry. I, I, um, but that just shows you kind of... Right now, I think if we looked at our tiers, where'd you have on your tiers last year? I'll look at mine... Where'd you guys have Kyle Rudolph ranked? I personally had Rudolph. Oh, this is gonna be embarrassing. Twenty-three. I had him at twenty-six, and he finished at second. Uh, so that just shows your point. We kind of were sick of him. We were high. I feel like Rudolph's a bad example for us because we were kind of higher than everyone else for the previous three, four seasons. I have him, twi- kind of, him at uh, twenty-five. Twenty-five. So all of us are in the twenties with him, and he finished second. Um, I guess probably maybe his scoring goes a little bit down. I only have uh, PPR printed out, but um, no, even in standard, he was just as high. Yeah, because he got all the touchdowns. He he, he he very. That's the one thing when he was a high scoring tight end. It was about three or some odd years ago. He only had like five hundred some hard yards receiving, but he was a, a nine or ten touchdown guy. Yeah, so. he had he had he had, he did yeah he did he was second in either way so. That's just it goes to show. So I think for me to go back to primer style for this and, and jump in, I don't want to be the only one talking here, but I think it's important to go back to. I think a lot of people on their drafting, um, when they're drafting and they're in, let's say, CBS or ESPN or whatever website you use for to park your league, I think a lot of people go by that list that's been predetermined by the rankings person of that website and they're in their draft board and they see and they just see the list like, oh wow, this running back's the highest guy they have. It's just ridiculous. You should always go by your own tiers, have your sheet either on your computer and you can be knocking those guys off or on your printouts and it's just... Do you. Don't go by those. And I just see all the time, you see people just taking, going down that list on CBS, and you're just sitting there, and you're like, this is great. Wow, I, I'm looking at my tiers, and I got a better dude up here than any of these. And my the guy that I like, just do you, love the guys you like, can be in that list and be way down. Don't be like, don't second guess yourself. Like, wait, why is my guy not higher? Just do, do the uh, research, do your back finding, do your tiers, massage them, and grab your guys. Part of the other part of that research, though, uh, to be the contrarian, is not that, wow, I'm getting this guy who's all the way down. Also, no, because there are guys who you have as that you think are sleepers. Yeah. And for whatever reason, the stupid server site that you're using also agrees that that person's a sleeper, and now they've become much higher on the list. And it's one of those ones, why is he showing up at the top available right now? So look ahead so that you'll know who are actually the guys in the list have to say, unfortunately, just because I know I have idiots in my league who are going to be using the thing, I'm either going to have to pay way up and actually pay over the value that I thought I could get this guy as a sleeper, or I just have to let him go yeah. and find that other sleeper that, that they haven't identified on their list so that you're better prepared. And again, not caught snake bitten. And this is also where the tears come in, that you don't get snake bitten that much. I mean, when you use tears... You don't have that thing where you're going, 
Oh no, it's only a player. I don't know. Uh, hang on, hang on, hang on. I gotta make my pick. Uh, I, I'll take. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Hang on. You don't get into that situation. Yeah. You have four columns that you have to take the top guy within. So if you're sitting there, you're grabbing one. Um, I think another thing that's important to know on these printouts, I like to use an 11 by 17. I like to fill it, you know, as, go through as many deep positions that I think guys are going to get drafted. And as someone's drafted, you scratch out that player's name on the draft. Also have the draft board grid or be willing to write your own fill in the chart. So you can see, to your point on that snake draft, uh, you can see what guys ahead of you have and don't have. Kind of use that and cross-examine that against where your tiers sit. So you're not grabbing if you're if there's... You've got a pick and then another six picks between your pick. Everyone's already got a quarterback early, but you really like a high-tier quarterback. Maybe you don't have to draft it. Someone could go for their second quarterback there, but the odds are you can go to another position knowing that everyone between you and your next pick again already has a quarterback and you're in the earlier part of the draft. Take that chance and sit there and go get another guy in a different position and hope the best that someone doesn't dick you over and it happens all the time, and then you can get your quarterback on the next one. And I want to say this. If you're in a, a draft room where you have 90 seconds between picks and, or a minute between picks yeah. and people are doing things fast, you're not going to be able to see that necessarily. Although, if you're on a computer and they have those those draft sites, they actually you can pull up the other teams. Oh, yeah. So you should be able, without even you having to do it, but for me too, is I'm I'm old school, so like I always still have my main one when we get together. And it's the only snake draft that I do, where we have the big draft board on the wall. So you have the different color stickers for yeah, the for yeah. the different positions. So I'm able just to kind of look up there and be like, oh, okay, yeah, 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 it's all right there in front of you. But definitely on those sites too, you should be looking at the, the teams that are picking one, two, two to three picks away from you, and and on either side, so that you know kind of where your lay of the land is when your time comes up. And I think that's a good point. It's not necessarily tiers driven, but be, there's different views in these websites. Yes. There's the teams and who's been drafted for each team. There's the actual grid of the draft itself. Uh, so be smart with your play around with your draft queue and your draft windows and all those kind of windows before the draft starts so that you're kind of a power user using it beforehand. You're not like, oh wait, how do I know what these guys have? Like, Just be smart. Know how to use the tools. Be if you if you're a, a person who has the multiple computers, set yourself up with the the multiple screens. Do you have like the three like at work the three screens that you can move? I got these? two. You got two. So having that is amazing, right? Because then you can have all your different extra windows open, especially if you're not getting together with people and you're just doing it online. I basically do my <laughs> laptop. I've got the draft room open on that. I've got I, I can play around and know which view I want, and then I got one sheet of paper. And I think that's the beautiful thing. And then we'll get I want Stags to uh, give some thought uh, to why he loves tears. But for me, it's like all I really have to do is bring my 12 pack of beer. Um, I, I don't carry it myself because I don't want to get arrested. But I've got someone that carries my weed for me. Uh, <laughs> it's a cheap salary. It's just an internship, to be honest. It's D Rex's weed carrier internship. This one uh, is going to be running college credit. Soon. Though, college yeah, credit. yeah, you can get you can get college credit. Uh, business 101. Uh, so my weed carrier brings weed in. I carry the 12 pack. I've got one sheet and I got my laptop. And then once we start ripping, I start winning. And I was like, damn, that was a good pick. And I'm like, thanks, bro. And then they go, and I'm like, shit, that's, that pick sucked balls. What'd you do? Take it off the queue? What's up? The fuck just happened? <laughs> Best part is I haven't smoked dope in like three days. I was just real confused by the hand motions. Oh, I, mean, <laughs> here, here's, 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 I was dabbing and shit. Here's what happened.
Wow. Uh, yeah, Mrs. Simpson, I have some bad news. Your husband was found D.O.A. Oh, my God, he's dead? Oh, wait, I mean D.W.I. <laughs> I always get those two mixed up. My name's Mrs. Phillips. You said my husband is D.W.I.? Uh, why don't you talk to that officer over there? I'm going out to lunch. <laughs> D.O.A., D.W.I., all the above. But the internship, check it out. It's on Glassdoor. <laughs> so the main reason I like tears is say you're drafted at the ninth pick of you know your draft on a ten team draft and you know you got three wide receivers in one tier that you like but you only got one running back left in a tier it's your pick and you're like Oh, I could go either way, but it's going to wrap around to me. What's more likely to be available? This guy needs a running back. I need a running back now. It clearly, the pick should be, you know, this guy, the running back, because I value him so much higher than the guy in that tier. And then, when, you know, it comes back around, you take whatever guy's highest in the tier you didn't take uh, in that wide receiver tier. That way you're always sort of getting the best value in sort of getting the best value in your eyes. You're not seeing a drop-off. And, and it doesn't even matter if there's a big difference. But if you see a drop-off from a player, that's where you need to have a break. So while there might be 1,000-yard receivers, there could be 1,000-yard receivers with double-digit touchdown upside. And there could be 1,000-yard receivers with, you know, eight touchdown upside, and then there's the Julian Edelman's of the world, where they might have five or six touchdown upside, uh, and you could use that as, as a way to do those breaks. Uh, I like to sort of find, you know, at the end of the season, it's easy, because you do statistical differences, and what is there a statistical, you know, uh, proven difference between any of these numbers? And that's where you sort of put the break, and it's easy. But we don't know that going in. Well, the other thing is, when we're talking right now, we're talking about doing it just on a grand scale, right, for overall rankings, where tiers is really even more important. And you just said it, statistical analysis. But statistical analysis that goes back to one of our other core competencies in how you're going to win your draft is know your league. So why would you have certain guys rated higher? Uh, well, long touchdown bonuses. I mean, all my leagues have these long touchdown bonuses. So, you know, you want to look at the players. If I have two players that uh, the top 200 or whatever, they may have this one guy rated five spots ahead or ten spots ahead at the position than this other player, but that player that they have rated higher only had four catches last season of more than 40 yards or, or, or two catches of more than 40 yards. And I got another player who's had 11. And I'm going, you know what, in my league, he is much more valuable. I don't want Anquan Bolden. I want I want a Tyreek Hill or a Taylor Gabriel. I want someone who can blow the top off it and give me huge type of explosion type points. So this is also the difference too. When you're creating tiers, you're creating your your own tiers for your league. They're all using the generic. Here's CBS's or here's Yahoo or here's ESPN's. Here's NFL's rankings. For all PPR leagues, because all leagues are created equal. <laughs> I agree with that. It's a great, that's a great freaking point. And that's know your league and have that translate onto your tiers. And I think an important, crucial thing is going to be, but before I say it, let's listen to this.
I think an important thing for you to do is get going early. Stag Party, the man, the myth, the legend. Stag Party has put out his first version of the tears, and I think that what my overwhelming uh, advice would be to anybody using tears is start them early, start, do them many times, Always stag party, I know his approach is to continually be refining them, real time, a piece of news is going on, he'll pull up his Excel spreadsheet and start changing things in real time. I think Houdini and I are more of a, a window maybe every kind of month or you know, less so in the off season, but as we get closer to the season, I think we change them once every month for our draft kits and leading up. And I think just getting it going, getting that information, devouring now and getting your first base of them now, even before the draft is important, because then the draft happens, and now you got a new influx of you know 15 to 35 more fantasy relevant players for 2017 that you can slot in and you can move them around. You can start kind of figuring out where they fall into the mix. Um, and and I think the last thing I'll just say is get going early. And and, and my big thing with tiers is always pit. I like the drop off thing, and I I have no problem. I, I have no problem not ha having an empty tier. One thing I noticed in Stag Party's uh, first version of tiers, he doesn't have a tier one wide uh, tight end. And that shows that he doesn't feel like there's one tight end that is, is, is heads above the rest of the field. Um, I like that approach. I've done many times where I've got one tier one guy. I'm just sitting there, this is my guy. I feel like the next batch are, are lower. And then there's other times where tier one's got eight guys because I feel like there's a mix of all these dudes. Um, so don't don't do the tiers however you want them. Other people out there will do tiers based on, you know, in the Braxton they're an eight-man league. Each tier is eight men. Um, I don't like that approach personally. I think it's more about their value uh, distinguished to your um, feelings on how they'll perform and not about uh, a given set number of guys. Uh, but, again... Tiers can be anything you want. You can make them your own. We will be, uh, you can check out spiromaniac.com and check out the Stag Party's version one of Tiers. I'll put my first version out sometime in the next month. Uh, in, in general, just check that out. What we didn't do on this one, which I can add, um, but we can give you a, a base uh, document that you'll be able to use to create your own tiers from. And something like that is also on Pyro Pro if you're a Pyro Pro member. Yeah, so again, like you said, there's no set number of how many guys are in a tier or tiers divided based on where those breaks are. Uh, again, start your tiers early. Why is that important? And there's something that I'm going to do this year that I haven't really done. Uh, but I, and I, we've always preached, going back until when, you know, when Pyromanic started, was to do all these things early. Because if you do your tiers now, number one, it's that rear view tiers, where it's not just rank the players based on the way they finish, it's based, basically say, okay, well, where do you think that these guys are gonna be next year and kind of do your initial tiers based on, you're doing it on rear view information. But I want to. I need to do. I didn't do that last year. I need to do it this year because I want to see how many. Where did I think those guys were going to be last year? And the, my feeling is that it's it's a lot different, you know. Yeah. But the reason why you do your initial breakdown now, and you have to be willing to say, be flexible and malleable in the entire process, and understand that you're going to be moving guys around a lot, and, and it's okay. But if you do it early and you start before the NFL draft, now you have a base baseline of, oh, here's a guy who I think is a riser because there's no competition. Boom, now the draft comes and you go, okay, we're going to move him down now. They have addressed their need and they have brought in competition. And 
and then it becomes it's not like it's all the surprise to you. So and it's less work each iteration. Correct. The earlier you go, I mean, it's like anything. Like in college, it's a bunch of cram jobs, and the earlier you start preparing for a test, the better you're going to do. Uh, same thing uh, goes with studying for fantasy football. Whether you use tiers or use rankings, the earlier you get your information and start putting, um, you know, your mind side towards this stuff, the better and more prepared you're going to be. So the earlier you get your first version of tiers and refine them through, from that point, the better. Um, Stags, you got anything uh, you, you want to add on this finally, just about the kind of overarching uh, reason for tiers and the primer side of things? No, but I mean, going from sort of a year-end review and going to you know, sort of version one for 2017, I mean, yeah, you use sort of where they can finish mm-hmm. as a, a, a factor. Like, so Antonio Brown's finished as a top three receiver in each of the last three seasons, he's more likely to be a top three receiver than be down at 15. Mm-hmm. And using you know statistics and where they finished and what are their range of outcomes, you know, it, say a guy like Tyrell Williams. Is Tyrell Williams going to see the same number of... This is a great conversation. See the same number of targets, per se, that he can get up to being a top 12 wide receiver again. Or is Keenan Allen being back and all these other guys sort of being back? How is that going to affect him? But we'll know more on that later. That's probably not the best example. but Because no, that's going to change based on things. But what I love what you said, and this is something that, that another aspect to when I'm thinking about players, you just, you know, this is, this, is, this is, again, when we talk about fantasy and how we have developed our strategies, our strategies are always ever-evolving. And we're always picking up different things from different people. What I like about what you said is that Antonio Brown has the potential to be a top three or he's going to be at worst like a 15. Knowing where that range is. So when you're, when you're going after a guy who maybe burst onto the scene last year, right? So let's take, for example, I'll give you a guy who's going to get... Terrell. Okay, using it. Okay, okay. Well, we could use that. So Terrell Williams, that is, I think that he doesn't for me. I don't see how he can like become where it's like, oh, he's now the stud here, and he's going to be able to do this further. I think that he's one of those guys that comes more of a regress to the mean because of the fact that there was a dearth of, of uh, so much injuries that they had. There's a dearth of talent that was gone. You lost Danny Woodhead. You lost in the passing game. You lost Keenan Allen. You lost, uh, you know, Antonio Gates was just not Antonio Gates. You, you had Hunter Henry who was a rookie. So Terrell Williams had the opportunities that were presented to him. When all that competition comes back, I think that, so for me... And you know, made the most of them. Right, 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 right. So again, took advantage of the situation. What happens when you, if you're just 50-50? You become from where Mike Evans was the, the, the one year that went then all of a sudden he goes, you're dropping every damn pass. If you were to just caught half of the drops, you become the best receiver in the game. Totally. I, I think that that's a smart thing. And an important part with tears and anything is like, I, there's so many guys in my league and sometimes the, the you find success. The draft, like the all two three years ago team and every guy they're drafting this year it would an example would be uh, he drafted Brandon Marshall in the sixth round and he draft like have some foreshadowing when you're doing your tiers don't make it all and we're about to segue into an audit that is exactly us looking at how 
our tiers were set before the season and how they finished up and having a discussion in that. But be smart at going in and segueing from that audit and doing that first version of your tiers to your final tiers and putting some sort of foreshadowing, foresight, taking a chance, picking guys that you think are going to be the sleeper, thinking, taking guys that you think have that opportunity and like a Terrell Williams had this year out of nowhere. Putting everything into consideration and baking that dish. Don't just go based on last year's stats. I think so many people that aren't league winners do that. Like, oh my God, of course. I mean, this guy was awesome last year. Why wouldn't I take him here? Um, so just be smart about taking a chance. Think about how things change and the fluidity of the game and opportunities and make some of those distinguishing uh, chances and, and, and picks and, and go out on a limb and say, you know what, I like all this information that I've seen. I like the opportunity they didn't draft someone. I'm going to take a chance on this guy and ride with him or die with him because when you ride, those are the times you win that championship. So it's like two guys that you can point to in a championship season like that dude was the guy that brought it home for me. And you, you can't, you, you'll be able to pick guys up, but uh, make sure you ride. Just don't be. Don't go by last year's stats. You can't. Okay. Here's what I want to. I want to. Solely. I want to. Well, I just want to. I want to piggyback. I want to. I want to pound the hell out of this point. You cannot. The NFL is not baseball. Okay. When you if you play fantasy baseball, you draft a guy for the back of his baseball card. Why? Because it's his batting average and it's a one-on-one -on -one matchup, him against the pitcher. It's always that way. For a football player, for a wide receiver especially, there are so many more factors that come into play. What's, what's going on with the offensive line? Can they actually protect for more than uh, three seconds? Do you have a quarterback that can actually throw a ball down the field? Is they, are they throwing the ball behind the receiver? Are you actually having a guy who actually can lead you? So there's so many extra factors. And the one thing that I can tell you is this. I play dynasty football, fantasy football, all the time. All my, I've been four dynasty leagues. And the one thing I can tell you is you get these guys, you're like, oh, man, he had a great year. I'm going to be great next year. And that guy fucking sucks. <laughs> And, and he does. And then somebody else who comes out of nowhere takes a spot. But then that guy, if he's a quality player, within the next four within four years, he's gonna have two really good years, and he could have some soft years. But there's more ebb and flow in the NFL than uh, than than in any any league that I've ever seen. And I have to give that uh Val Verde. I still can't get a good he's pop on it. Yeah, I know. Well, I'd like to help you, ma'am, but <laughs> I'm afraid there's no law against mailing threatening letters. Yeah, I'm pretty sure there is. Huh. The day I take cop lessons from Mark Kettle... Uh, hey, she's right, Chief. Well, shut my mouth. It's also illegal to put squirrels down your pants for the purposes of gambling. Boys, knock it off. Go work, boys. Go work. Um, all right. I think I think we're good. We're going to be doing a video sometime uh, in the next month, an updated tiers video that kind of is our, our primer version. We've got an old one that you can search for. Um, it's definitely in our videos uh, on Facebook.com forward slash Pyromaniac. You can do a search for it on the internet, Pyromaniac.com, uh, tiers. Uh, and you'll see an old video of Dogmatic and myself talking through them. And I think we also did a video where the three or four of us were out on my, uh, on my, on the, that's where the stag parties, Bud Latte call day. Um, but yeah, check them out. We live and die by it. You're going to keep continually hear about it from us. 
This is by far the response we get, the feedback we get on social media, our emails, our second opinions, which are part of Pyro uh, Pro. Overwhelmingly, people are always like, thank you for teaching me about tears. I'm three years in on tears, and I'm so much better now. It just clears the clutter, puts everything in one view, makes it so you can create your own. You just go into one, you go into each draft just with one sheet, start plucking them off, Point, pinpointing guys and just if you're going through your tiers and you've spent a lot of time on them, just the top guy at the position you want at that moment, circle him. He's on your team. Uh, if, you're, if you're grabbing guys that are four down from the top guy in that tier when you're drafting, you're doing it wrong. You know, So that's why you do mock drafts leading up to regular drafts. That's why you draft in a lot of leagues so that you can get this new information to help you change and alter and move around the fluidity of your tiers. And the last point is that when you go into your draft, you've already done the analysis with the tiers. This is one of the other things that we, you and I, D-Rex, have always talked about is that you have the conflict. All right, it's draft day. Yeah. I have these two players. Who am I going to draft? And that guy goes ahead in your tiers so that when you're in your draft, you're not looking at your tiers going, ooh, I want to draft this guy that's lower. You, you've done it already. Yeah, and I love that's why mocking is also awesome. At the end of a mock, you can look and know those moments where you were scarred by a pick or a lost pick, and you can know, like, wow, that's a guy I really want on my team. And that will move a guy up and say, you know what? I really was bummed out. I want this guy over that guy. I'm not going to make that stake on the real, on the, in the real uh, uh, draft clock. Uh, one other thing that I would say that isn't about tears so much, but I'm all for it. I think you should try it. If you're in a ton of leagues like Houdini, and we found out that Waz is even in more leagues than you are, by the way. I'm not in that many. Yeah, I have a buddy who's in, who's in Fort. Yeah, he's that's crazy. But you can also always make sure didn't pay you love the winnings from last year. I just got paid. Yeah, uh, always uh, do the leagues you care about the most or are worth the most money or whatever. Try and have those as closer to the actual kickoff day because you can have as much experience with other drafts, other um, mocks, and all that stuff. All right, good times. Uh, Let's talk about. Tears. Let's talk about tiers. And we'll do a 2016 <laughs> audit. We'll talk about where we had guys in our final tier version, which came out, I think, about uh, September 1-ish of 2016, right around there for our last version, version 7 of our draft kit. We'll talk about where we had guys, where they finished, and then um, kind of just talk through that a little bit. because I think And also maybe a little bit of where we can expect a rebound or a regression for next season. Things along those lines. So it'll be a little bit in review and going forward. Yeah, and where we got burned, where we think we got burned, but like Houdini had just got done saying, hey, it was a soft year. That doesn't mean it's going to be another soft year. This guy could be on the right for a rebound. Like, uh, Becoming a cop is not something that happens overnight. It takes one solid weekend of training to get that badge. Forget about the badge! When do we get the freaking gun? Hey, I told you, you don't get your gun until you tell me your name. say, <laughs> I love this guy. Um, also, we'll talk about a little bit whether it's just like hindsight bias, saying that we shouldn't have ranked them there, or if like, there was something wrong with the process. I mean, if the process totally. is right in some places, like... Hey, I'm always going to rank a guy there just because, you know, he's the starting running back for this team. And that's the information we have. And we and we try not to predict injuries. But, yes, if there's a guy who's a constant injury-prone dude, we'll rank him a little bit lower in our tiers. Just that that's, that's some hindsight we have. 
It's a perfect example. Running backs, with that zero RB thing that was going around, we talked about it a bunch last week. I was sold a little bit on some of the arguments and the reasons why it's still, it's still um, I had said, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm not a believer. But the only thing, and, and this goes back to what you were piggybacking on what you were just saying. Last year, there were more touchdowns at the running back position since, than since 2008. So when you think about a stat like that, that's the reason why people were heading towards the zero RB. Touchdowns were coming way down for this position. Last year, all of a sudden, remember we talked on other shows where it used to be ridiculous, 28 touchdowns by a player. So touchdowns are up for the running back position, and that happens. There are ebbs and flows to position. So whatever we do in this audit, it's not that we were wrong or that something it was either a soft season Trends change. Uh, certain positions have, have, have big seasons, like the tight end two years ago versus this year, and all that sort of stuff. So it's always going to change. It's always going to be moving around. I, I think that's the key is that when you see trends, right? And one of the ones was we were looking at the wide receivers who were scoring more and more, all the thousand yard receivers. Well, it took, it took all of the NFL about two to three draft classes. To start drafting these players who are athletes on the other side of the ball, and the Landon Collins have come into the football, and uh, you know some of these other difference makers on the on the, and the defensive backs, speed the, on the defensive right, side, right, right, and, and just killer instincts. Chris Harris is and like, wow, okay, these are the players that we need to be drafting in this new NFL, and it it takes when when you start doing that was the 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 the, 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 run, wild the, the read wild, offense or the wildcat, right? Wildcat, wildcat got, got destroyed within a year and a half. After. This comes two years. You're not confusing anybody anymore. It's still around, but uh, talking. But not, about, not like it was with Ronnie Brown and the no, Wildcats. Not still around. It's a sprinkle. But uh, other things along those lines is yeah. There's ebbs and flows, and then there's overcorrections. Yeah. So now you can overcorrect just because running backs scored the most touchdowns since 2008. That doesn't mean next year they're going to score the most touchdowns since 2016. Absolutely. That means there could be a correction again. So you've got to sort of stay with the market, but also realize where progression, regression, and those things all happen. So that's the every thing. reaction is counter reaction. But you can stay ahead of the market by understanding that there is going to be these corrections. That when offenses get way ahead of defenses, defenses catch up, and when defenses are way ahead of offenses. Then all of a sudden, it, 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 that's that ebb and flow, and, and where we see, you know, where, where teams went to that spread offense. Remember, okay, I, everything's easy for Chicago because you can go back to, remember Gary Croton, this is going back for a lot of people, but this is a guy who came over from BYU, offensive coordinator, who ran about a million bubble screens. It was like, it was like the NFL had never seen the bubble screen before, and now the bubble screen is still part of oh, the offense, right. but that was like the play that they used every single time. And then within a year, and everyone feels like, oh, his, his offense is a gimmick. The NFL caught up to it. We have tape on it. We now know the extra player we need to rotate in order to take this thing away from you. What, what's, it's a chess game. What's your yeah. next move? So understand that. So when you see a very much like we saw last year, what was it like? Uh, there was only like eight running backs or six six running backs, I think, that had over 1,000 yards ago in 2015. And there was like... 13 or 14 wide receivers that were over a thousand years remember something even more whatever it was it was a drastic difference that wide receivers had a wide disparity of more thousand yard uh, players than running backs seven there were seven thousand yard rushers seven. last year okay um, and then this year there were let me do it 
More. Uh, definitely more. Like, they're like 13 or something. Yeah. Three, six, nine. There yeah, on the 13, side? 12 or 13. Yeah. Oh, there you go. There's a number on the side. There you go. Sorry. <laughs> you can't get it. You can just count the You can't be an expert overnight. And also, <laughs> 12. 12. This year. <laughs> hold on. Hey, hey, hold on. Hang on. Hang on. What I am about to show you next may shock and educate you. Or may not. <laughs> Thank you very much. Also, let's remember, drafts have an effect. Because there's, there's a point where the running back class started to get thinned out and all the sort of old grades sort of retired. And there wasn't a guy who could replace them. But over the last couple years, and this year's a deep running back you know, draft, to where we're going to see the running back position be pretty good again. Like the players at the position and their talent level matters as well. The incoming talent at the uh, running back position is going to be great for this draft. And that's going to you know, push older players out and things along those lines. And you know, the last, what, three years ago, we had the wide receiver class of, of, all, all, of all wide receiver classes ever. And that that's just something to keep in mind. Like that's all those things matter. So what? let's let's start the actual audit. Let's talk okay. players. Let's start with quarterbacks. Okay. So let's Bombers. go. Let's go with number one. Book them. Here you go. Book them, bye. Let's go with number one overall, Cam Newton. So with Cam Newton, you look at the process. Now you're looking right now at collective tiers. Yeah, pretty okay. much. In general, everybody across the board had him close to one. Yeah, yeah, I had him two. Where did you have Cam? One. 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 But originally I had Aaron Rodgers because Aaron Rodgers' range of outcomes was between one, two, or three for like the last eight years. Yeah. I moved off of that. I thought uh, we knew Cam was going to regress. Career year beware, being number one, having that many rushing yards and rushing touchdowns, and wasn't going to happen again. The jump in touchdown spike of his passing touchdowns it was also going to go down from, you know, it went up from three and a half. He nearly doubled it to seven. So we knew that was going to correct, and, you know, he wasn't an accurate passer or anything. So you thought he could lose something and still be the number one passer. But he lost a lot more than we thought. We also thought there'd be, what, a correction because of Kelvin Benjamin. So we thought he might be even a little bit better. He could be a little bit more accurate because of Benjamin. We thought maybe the yards could go up uh, passing-wise while everything else could sort of go down in the touchdown department. And he might be able to correct that with a little bit of more accuracy. He definitely wasn't more accurate. He was inaccurate. It was bad. I, I wish I would have stuck with Aaron Rodgers, my number one quarterback. That's it. His range of outcomes is so wide. We've seen Cam's range of outcomes from year to year. Besides being the QB1, yeah. what's he been? QB7, QB8 in his path. Then the year before that, QB17 because of an injury. You know, things along those lines. So he has, you know, he has QB1 in his range, definitely. But also, it's more likely that he's going to finish in the middle of the pack. Among quarterbacks, a back end quarterback one. And now that he's getting up there in his age, how does the rushing come down? Because that's something that's gonna change and the rushing touchdowns, you know, also can't be counted on at such a high rate. Well this is that's the point. 
And this is the thing that I think was a miscalculation on my part. If we want to say all of our parts, you can. Yeah, I'll take. I'll take onus. Is that you? What I didn't really expect was I think that he got so rocked in that game against Denver last year that his mental psyche was not the same as a runner this year. And without him being able to give you what he's given you in the past in the rushing game, and Especially when you're like, well, wait a minute. Normally we've had uh, uh, D'Angelo Williams and Jonathan Stewart back there for him. Now it was just Jonathan Stewart who is not a young spring chicken himself. And Cam was supposed to be picking up a lot of the slack. And he just really wasn't running. And, and he, he was just throwing John- inaccurately. Is what, is, 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 Even is, Jonathan Stewart wasn't healthy for right. you know, all of the That's season. what I mean. So, so you had all the – everything was there for him to be that guy. I, I Something was going on, but at the same time – Here's a telltale sign for me and why I should never put him as number one. And this is the rearview mirror. Is your career completion percentage as, as, as a quarterback? I argued that with you guys. I know. So hard. You're right. Office. That's right. And everybody's like, it doesn't matter. He's just so good. And where'd you have him right? <laughs> well, it, one. Right. But, so, yeah, right. We, we need to pay attention to that and be, listen to our, because we do this all the time. And we, we will say, we'll, we'll have the conversation. And we'll say exactly the thing that happens. But why don't we listen to it? But I'll, and, I, and I agree. And I think also another thing, other than this wasn't like a contract year, but for him being an MVP, no. I think he went into preparation a little more last offseason. Even even losing the way they did, he was at the top of the world, tons of money off. He's making tons of money off his NFL contract, making tons of money as one of the faces of the league. But he was embarrassed think, after the Super Bowl with the, the press conference. Uh, it, was, it was terrible. But let's not – and I, like, I agree with you on the running fact going into even the season – but let's not forget, against the tough Atlanta Falcons, remember when he jogged in and just danced in the end zone and got his lights nailed. And that's why he missed out. the game. And he missed the game, and that absolutely destroyed any running for the rest of the year. I think that was like week three, four, maybe five, week four. It was sometime early, or late, late September, early October. But once that, and that was him, he didn't have to do that. He just like danced in. If he just run in and handed the ball instead of just like galloping in, it would have been a different season for him. He finished in the season end tiers that Stags has put together, and we we have this in the resource toolbox um, of the Pyro Pro. Do we have this there? I think we put it there. Um, it's regardless, just on the site. No, but this is season end tiers. Oh yeah, it's on the site. You're right. Season end tiers. Sorry, I'm getting confused with your uh, next season tiers. This is on the website. 2016 end of season tiers. Uh, Cam Newton finished like six. He finished 16th uh, in tier six. But I think that game and that moment where he galloped, he danced into the end zone, walked into the end zone, didn't look out of the peripheral of his left uh, vision. Was it Beasley that knocked him out? I don't know who it was. Some guy on Atlanta just lit him up, and that changed the whole trajectory of his whole season. So. And he still had the ups. I mean, he had some 30-point games and some 25-point games, but his sort of average game was more in the 13-fantasy-point range rather than the you know 17 or 18 that he's putting up uh, when he was throwing an extra touchdown a week sort of last year. I mean, the guy threw just 19 touchdown passes last season, but... Remember, he's got a season in 2014 with 18 touchdown passes, a season in 2012 with 19 touchdown passes, a season with 21 touchdown passes. Like Cam's you know, overall average touchdown passes 
is somewhere in the 25 range. It's not the 35 range that it was a couple years ago. So I think that's it on Cam Newton. Hold up. I know who hit him. It was Weatherspoon. Was it? <laughs> I believe so. I think it was Sean Weatherspoon. Weatherspoon even on that team? He was at that point in time that he that he was off the team. It was early in the in the year because he was a guy who I had drafted in like a, my IDP league, like when he was a rookie. And I, so I was like, oh, I'm still following. Like, oh, and I'm like, there you are, you son of a bitch. Where you been for how many times? I believe it <laughs> this was. That's what him. I wanted to see out of you when I drafted you. I will see. I'll see if I can't find the hit on YouTube. How about that? Fair enough. Yeah. Um, Let's talk about another uh, quarterback or two here in our, in our preseason tiers. Um, another guy that in the collective tiers um, that we had uh, pretty high that that ended a little bit lower. Um, you know, I'll throw out uh, Russell Wilson. Uh, we had him as our tier one, end of the tier one, number four guy. He ended up uh, more so at the 11, 12 uh, in tier five. Um, what are your thoughts on why we had Russell Wilson there at that point, and also maybe even more so, like where do we think that Russell Wilson falls for next year? Do you think he goes back into the – when you're doing – He's uh, definitely not going to be a QB1 for me. I think I've got him you know, yeah, seven or eight. Got him. Seven or eight. I think he rebounds a little bit because he's not going to be you know, unhealthy. You know, At least that's the thought. Hopefully yeah, they got, got some an eight in tier three. Jones forty five. Jones. Dion. Dion Jones. Okay, so Destroy. the reason we had him so high is because he had that hot second half of the season. We thought Thomas Rawls wasn't going to be there early, so they were going to have to go with a little bit more of an aerial assault. Uh, we thought the weapons at wide receiver were ascending with Baldwin and Lockett. And Curse was capable. I thought Jimmy Graham, Graham, you know, potentially getting back could add something in the red zone to help them score more uh, touchdown passes. So there was just a lot of things pointing up. And a lot of things did go his way. He attempted the most passes he's ever attempted in his career. He had the most passing yardage he's ever had in his career. But he also threw the most interceptions, albeit just by one. How about sacks? And his... Nah, that was right along, right along with this career average. Because right. he, he's always gotten hit. But he wasn't able to run like he has in the past. His, his rushing numbers are pretty much cut in half uh, from usual, typical career rushing numbers. And uh, but you- attempts were down, uh, yardage was down, and yeah, he only scored one rushing touchdown. I, I, I still True. never, I, I had him high. I'm not going to back down on why I had him high. Because again, you're digging up Marshawn Lynch. I'm figuring well, touchdowns are going to be more spread out. Thomas Rawls is not necessarily just going to be that guy. I agree with you with all these different aspects. So, for me, it was really not truly looking and understanding that offensive line for me. Because he was under such duress, especially when you're playing with that defense. Back when you had Earl Thomas on it as well from the beginning that you have just ridiculous playmakers that are going to turn the ball over and get the ball back in your hands. But he was just running for his life. And his sack numbers are, are may have been about the same, but I, I want to know to find like the pressures or hurries because 
It was like it was I, injury. He was injured. Remember, he had right, all he those lower. Right, right. He had knee injuries going go into, into, the, into season. the season. He had knee injuries. But he was taking hits upon hits upon hits early in the season. Played too. every play. Practiced on this stuff. Played on this stuff. Man, I remember in my rookie league, I took uh, not Tavares Jackson with Trevon, the, yeah, Boykin. Trevon Boykin, thinking this guy's going to be out for the season. I went, I grabbed him at the very end. He was like Mister Irrelevant, I think. Like, dude, the guy was banged up, but he played his way into health. Like by week six, he kind of came in. So literally, his injury was something that we should have thought more about because he was injured all over the place heading into last season. So which is that big? It's a big reason. The same reason as Cam. Why he only had one rushing touchdown. That's such a big component of his game. The same way Aaron Rodgers can make a player run for seven to nine seconds, if, if that's all of the way that Russell Wilson makes his action happen. By just making defenses, have to run around and cover, he's just running around like it's uh, park flag football, and all of a sudden everyone's tired, one guy breaks long, breaks free, comes back, and it's Russell Wilson rolling out and jetting it in. And that's, that's his game, dude. So doesn't he not a pocket pass? Doesn't he then become a guy that you kind of like for next year because he's going to be a guy that burned a lot of a lot of people. A lot of people are just going to see all the things, just going to look at those stats, and they're just going to be like, "I'm down on him." And you're going to be able to grab him as you know in Stag's great theory of not reaching out for a quarterback. You're going to have to reach in the first five rounds for him. Now he'll probably fall into six, seven, eight, and you can grab him there. With him being healthy, he's with five, him having five, his offensive seven, line yeah. having another year under their belt, with still having Jimmy Graham, still having it now, also knowing that you're going to have a bigger uh, contribute from uh, CJ Procise, who looks like he can do some real major damage as a receiver on some dump off passes. Yeah. You know, if, if Seattle could ever figure out how to throw the ball to a running back, that's the only thing that they got to figure out. Uh, they haven't and had to for even Richardson is on a good uh, a good upswing, as which a, just gives more uh, dynamicism to the offense, which only helps Russell Wilson. Give him a deep throw, give him an extra playmaker. Have Tyler Lockett come back. Well, here's healthy. the question: Is Lock? That's my word. He's not. That, a, he's that, not a that, game that, breaker. Yeah. No. Uh, but even that is is Lockett playing Week One next year? I don't, I don't, I don't think so. That looked terrible. But at the same time, with Lockett is he's. All these ascensions that they're trying to make for these players, none of these players have ascended to that position. So he becomes basically like Tom Brady West Coast. Can he, but with running, because Tom doesn't run. You know, but make a bunch of also rans with Doug Baldwin as your Julian Edelman. Can he, can he, can he jump on the back and Jimmy is your Gronk? It's, it's, it's the same type of thing. Uh, we got a good uh, tweet from uh, Joe Dolan, a guy that finished uh, pretty high in the um, in the expert accuracy results this year for Fantasy Pros. NFL, it's a tweet, NFL started tracking targets in 1992. Doug Baldwin just became the first player to have back-to-back 70-plus catches, 1,000-plus uh, catches seasons uh, with more than 75% catch rate. And we talked about that on last week's show, just how his catch rate, Doug Baldwin, is insane. So... Not necessarily talking about Russell Wilson, but it just shows you that he's got that rapport where I think that going into next season. I mean, last year I thought Jimmy Graham and that and his um, uh, micro fracture, he leaps and bounds was better than what I thought. I know we ended up having him in our collective tiers uh, much higher than I would have thought. Our collective tiers, we ended up having him actually at... Um, um, sorry, I'm looking at Pyro Collective Tiers. 15. 15. Oh, okay. Um... I guess I had him higher. Uh, you had him in 17. Okay. Um, 
What am I looking at here then? Um, well, anyways, but he's outperformed what we thought. So that is a good sign for Russell Wilson going to next season. Let's jump on to another position, and we can bounce back to a quarterback during this audit. No, I don't need you don't need no, to. Let's talk about uh, a guy on the other side who we moved down at quarterback, you know, Blake Bortles. So, Blake Bortles was coming off a great season. You know, that offense looked to be ascending. Um, it, it just looked to be ascending. They added pieces uh, in Chris Ivory. Everybody was supposed to be healthy, like a Julius Thomas, um, you know, Marquise Lee also, and they had a litany of other weapons. And, you know, it was just another season going into your third year in the NFL. But things didn't work out for Blake Bortles. I mean, if you look at his fantasy numbers, you'll be probably shocked at where he finished. You know, 14th overall among quarterbacks in scoring. But it just That's didn't. That's what I called him. I had him at 14. It just didn't look pretty at all. It just looked terrible. It just never looked pretty at all. Um, where did you have Bortles preseason? Nine. What about you, Stag Party? Eleven. Eleven. And he finished third in 2015, right? With 606 passing attempts, too. So, you know, you know, this is also the thing I think where I want to jump back to what Stags had mentioned before about why quarterbacks, uh, you know, you don't need to be, be racing after these quarterbacks, is when you look at Blake Bortles and, and, and people who are projecting higher, and I'm, I'm higher than both of you guys were on him, is that you're like, oh, there's progression, there, there's, there's this. But the other thing is this, why is a guy like Matt Ryan or a guy like Phillip Rivers sometimes go from falling down to all of a sudden become a top guy? They're still good players. You know what? They just don't necessarily have the talent around them. Where you have these young guys who maybe they have other talent around them or they're just teams aren't respecting it as much. But when you have the quality guy... That, that's why, you know, to be able to draft a Phillip River, to be able to draft a Matt Ryan, uh, a Matthew Stafford, in like who, last year in ADPs were like, what, they were like number 11, 12, 13, 14, some even down like around 20 on some people's draft boards. At the position, they're, they're, these are number one like overall draft picks or yeah. top five overall draft picks. These are high draft, high draft picks who have... But Bortles was it, too. He was. But, <laughs> he was but, third, I think. Third over, yeah, I think so. But... But, but, with high, but, but at the same time, those guys also had more pedigree, but they've also had their drop. And then people have been like, screw that guy, right? And so Bortles may be, we'll see. Give him, give him this wait three years, give him the same length of time. Rivers has been in the league since 2004, so. Yeah. We're going to keep this kind of, uh, conversation going with Blake Bortles on the flip side of this, but uh, do us a favor. Listen to uh, one of our, or two of our sponsors. All right. Um, yeah, Bortles was a, an anomaly. I think the running game was a, It just seemed like nothing was going right for them. And on the flip side, in that 2015 season, as we talked about at nauseum um, last offseason, was the fact that they had these shootouts where they were down so much in all these games, they had no option but by the middle of the second quarter to throw themselves back into the game, and that goes back to the attempts that he had. Uh, I don't know where Yeah, except he had more attempts last Did year. He? Okay, let's, well, hold on. Let me keep going with my thought. Um, <laughs> the defense... Is a lot better this year. I think they were a top five defense in many of their stats. Uh, definitely not a you know all world. You know I'm not going to say they're the best defense ever. They weren't a, a young, up and coming. It wasn't all of a sudden just like we're getting smoked. 
Uh, we suck balls. Let's do it. Uh, Allen Robinson, Hearns, and, and Bortles, we need you to throw us into this one with maybe a Julius Thomas. So I think that is going to keep happening as well. I think this will be a better defense. I think this will be a, a, a growing one of the better defenses uh, around, but I think that really took a hit for Blake Bortles. I mean, I don't think so at all. He threw themselves into a hole so often in that game that it didn't matter how good the defense was. They were in big losses because Blake Bortles would throw an interception on the first drive of the game, or they'd fumble on the first drive of the game, the other offense would score, and then they'd be in shootout mode nearly all game. The shootouts were still there, the attempts were still there. You know, the only thing that wasn't there was him able to make big plays and make big plays down the field. That's where the real difference was. The accuracy on deep balls, and you could see it to Allen Robinson, and he didn't have Hearns there for the back portion of the season. And Marquise Lee really isn't that guy to go deep. But, but wouldn't you also say that part of what got exposed too is that everyone thought more of the Allens than we should have? You no. Know? No. I, I, I mean, listen, at least Allen Hearns, you yes. have to say, yes, we did. They were both 2000, they were both 1,000-yard receivers last year. Allen Hearns had, what, 8 or 10 touchdowns last year? So, you know, Robinson had the 14. You know, Hearns was this, was this player who was just, all of a sudden was on the ascension. He did nothing. He was he was so non-existent. Because he got paid. He's, he's, he's over it. Well, whatever it is. But he it's went like, to go get that money, and then I, I just don't think he's all that great of a player. It's also where I'm starting to, to really pay more attention to, again, it's where guys are. You know, and again, it, you, it, are you a good judge of a guy going up or a guy going down? What are the real telltale signs? And again, with football, it's so different because just because you're a great wide receiver, you, have to, you do have to look at the offensive line. If they can't block anybody and your quarterback is going to lose a half a second of drop back time, then... You're not going to be able to get those extra long plays downfield because it's not going to have time for it to develop, or that quarterback's under duress, or if you have a, a, a team like Dak Prescott plays under, where the where the offensive line can just wall people off, you have an amazing chance to be more successful. So you know, but then the, here's the other thing: let's look to see what they're going to do. They're going to draft a running back. They, are they or are they going to draft a running back? Are they also That'd going to draft stupid. offensive linemen? Are they going to sign free, uh, uh, free agent offensive linemen? Bring in a veteran guard, someone who can help solidify that line to just give Bortles a little more protection. You have your skill players. You got your and, and you wasted your stupid money on Chris Ivory. <laughs> yeah? They had to. Salary floors. True. So they still got space. They let's talk space. about so let's talk about another player. Um, you want to stay in quarterback? So no, let's, we're down quarterbacks now. Go. What do you want to talk about, Stags? I'm going to disagree with whatever it is. Well, you want to talk about the Ezekiel Elliott thing, or do you want to go somewhere else? We always talk about him ad nauseum. Let's talk about like somewhere else. Yeah. Um, I got nothing. Dealer's choice. Yeah, okay. All right, how, I, about, I all right, how about, all right, how about Lamar Miller? Let's go Lamar Miller. Okay, Lamar Miller. Right, Lamar Miller was a guy that I, we were all high on. I had him at number four. Me too. And, and um, you know, you looked at Lamar Miller with the, all the big the type of plays that he was doing with Miami, uh, but the fact was he would be having huge first halves on like seven or eight carries, and then they would give him one carry or two carries in the second oh, half. Right. And you said, wow, he's going to Houston. He's going into a situation where Arian Foster had been this guy who had just been getting carry after carry after carry. 
this team would feed them. They're bringing in Brock Osweiler, uh, who is not proven to be a super dynamic quarterback. He's trying to prove himself. Wow, they're probably going to lean on Lamar Miller a lot this year. They're probably going to finally give him the chance to, to show what he was going to do. And we just didn't get the, the real delivery of what we thought we were going to get. Now, can part and parcel of that be that he had broke ass wiper at quarterback who then no one was fearing and everybody was doing everything they could to shut down Lamar Miller or, hey, we don't even have to do that much because all we have to do is force broke ass wiper to throw the ball twice and they're going to have a three and out and then here we go. Well, I think, I think he actually had an all right season. He did have 1,000 yards. He was, but not a, not a number three over four overall. I agree. Right I agree. Back. I agree. Here, let me keep going. He was a top six guy in attempts, so he got more attempts than he's, he used to. It's the lowest lowest scoring offense in the NFL this year. They just could not put points up on the board. So he had five touchdowns, and he had no, and he had one touchdown through the. He's just not a receiver. He's not a receiving. He should be. He seems like he should be receiving. Is it broke ass wiper? Is it that broke offense? Uh, it's, it, he should be, but he had one touchdown, and we're looking at Lamar had 31 catches. To give you an example of that, um, but they went for just 188 yards. Yeah, 188 yards. Carlos Hyde. Let me, let me. I'm just trying to think of someone that. For, Mark Ingram, who's gotten better over the last couple seasons of catching, he had 46 catches. So that puts something in perspective where and 46 catches for 309 yards and four touchdowns. So I think if he can, if Miller can get, and that's another, it's a good thing for next year. Yeah. Miller, people staying away from this team, getting burned by him, not seeing what they thought. The numbers are kind of there on the attempts. The rush, he had 1,000 yards, it was low, not, not a good uh, yard per catch. But if touchdown, if we think touchdowns should go up, which don't we think that he's going to have more than – Six total touchdowns from running, five running, one. He's actually the the the, the upside for him next year looks pretty favorable, and there are every, all the talk is that basically Osweiler's. Out. Well, I right. love that garbage can picture. Yeah, it, it was. See that? One? Is that you that tweeted that one? Yeah. Um, I mean, they're they're saying that they're gonna draft somebody. Well, they're saying that they're gonna draft they're somebody. Also they're also in the tone they're not in the Tony Romo conversation, though. Romo doesn't want to go there, apparently. So it looks like they're going to draft somebody to keep Brock for a year. So we'll see. Well, I, I thought was weird was that um, one of the three teams that Adrian Peterson said he wanted to go to was this team. Was He's Texas. from Texas. I know, but isn't that weird? I mean, it's just no, like, it's not weird. It's it's like, like the opportunity. Hey, it's like, yeah. Look, why wouldn't you want to be a running back look, with that defense? That defense is sick. And they just have nothing in offense. Look, if you, this is just where, hand the ball off. Jay Cutler is one of these other guys that, that's come up in in, in 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 the name for them. It's like uh, Cutler's got three teams. It's uh, 49ers. 49ers, uh, Texans, Jets. and oh, Jets. and the Jets because the Jets take every ex bear, and it works out great. I've heard every name for the Jets. Tyrod, well, and you're going to carry every name, but but the, the fact remains that. If you, this is where for Lamar Miller it's depressing, right? And, and it's tough when you're on the lowest scoring offense. You don't want to be the you don't want to have the running back on the lowest scoring offense. You're you're probably playing from behind, or you're just not, you're just not putting up enough points where there's anything of consequence there. So unfortunately, you had a defense that's able to turn the ball over, but your offense was just going too many three and outs. And sometimes maybe part of that's continuity or whatever, but it's really the quarterback. That quarterback could not. 
command any type of consistency. They never had sustained drives, so you were never getting into a rhythm. The running game never got into a rhythm where you could just lean on your running game and go, here, Lamar, we're going to give you 34 carries because you're killing them, and you're just, we're going to run over them in the second half. How many, I don't know if you have to think how many runs he had of over 20 yards, but for a guy like Lamar Miller, if you could just get him, if you gave him half of the holes that Ezekiel Elliott had, he would have 12 uh, runs of, of 40 or more yards, I would even say. For sure 20 or more. So that's a problem when you're not giving a guy those opportunities. And that's why it's like, oh, well, is one guy that much better of a running back? No. Well, the opportunities, of, like... They were there. Opportunities were all there for Lamar. Oh, were the they thing good was the offensive line wasn't good, and Brock Osweiler wasn't good, and they couldn't throw it deep. So quality of opportunities. Yeah, they were quality <laughs> opportunities, but the volume of opportunities were definitely sure, there. Sure, sure. And that's what you were hoping for. And then the touchdowns weren't there to career norms. He's usually one of the better red zone rushers, but they didn't seem to want to give it to him in the red zone for a good portion of the season. Uh, you know, Alfred Blue got as many red zone carries. Uh, you know, he finished strong in the red season. zone, though. Uh, he had touchdowns, I think, in weeks uh, in the fantasy yeah. playoffs. I think 14, he had a touchdown 14, 15, yeah. 15 to 16. So your yeah. Yeah, I didn't playoffs. play 16 and 17. Oh, okay. So he missed four, two games with that ankle injury. Right, injury so 13, 14, and 15. He had, he had a touchdown leading you through the playoffs in the beginning. So paid you off at least when you needed it. Shitty against the uh, Indian Colts and Jacksonville. Which helps help the situation. So maybe you got to look at his uh, SOS. But it's still, still going to be good. Still going to be good. Good point. Uh, that's a guy that uh, I'm. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, hopefully that team can improve. Uh, let's move on to another uh, player within the running back position. Let's go, Todd Gurley. I mean, I think that's um, one dude that we should talk about. Todd Gurley, we had him in our consensus as number two. I personally uh, had him as Gurley, my number two. Why did I do have him there? I knew. I don't know why I did it either. I I knew that team was going to suck balls. Why did I have him there? God damn it! Where did you have Gurley on your individual final update of the tiers? Probably running back four. So you had him four. God, that guy! I knew it was gonna suck this year. I bought, I bought into last year. I bought into the season before. That's what happened to me. I bought into those amazing runs. You bought into the amazing runs. You thought he was gonna be the centerpiece of the offense, and they couldn't do anything else. You thought if he played a full sixteen games, and you extrapolate his stats from those thirteen games, oh, he's a fucking all pro. Uh, You you do all those things. You think he might get more work in the passing game. Because uh, they didn't really use them in that. It's like you saw all the green lights and you didn't see the benefits, right? But I also should have known better. I should have seen Jeff Fisher. And what I was thinking but about was. Jeff Fisher is good for a running back. Exactly. Jeff Fisher is gives point. the most. Well, this is my point. So I was thinking, oh, it's Jeff Fisher, it's Eddie George. But the problem with that is this is not Eddie George's NFL that he was playing in. It's a different era of the NFL. And. You need skill player positions, uh, or, or uh, skill players at the at the, at the uh, good players at the skill positions, and I'll say it right eventually. They don't have a difference maker at wide receiver. They don't have a difference maker at tight end. They don't have a difference maker anywhere else on that field except for Todd Gurley, and that should have been the telltale sign that yeah, you're going to give him the ball because that's the only place you have to. But I should have been smart enough to go. You're either starting Case Keenum. 
or Jared Goff, every team is going to say, make them beat us. But we also we're, thought Jared Goff was going to be an upgrade. He couldn't be worse than what they were trotting out there before. True. Yeah. Between I, Nick Foles and Case Keenum. And I think with the Fisher. And it really wasn't Eddie, that much worse. The Fisher, Eddie, Eddie George <laughs> argument. He had McNair. You know, True. The team was the team that was going to the playoffs deep into championship games. And this team's just young and just shite. Uh, so let's talk about, we know we, we were wrong. We, we were no wrong, more wrong than any of the experts out there. Gurley was pretty much, I think, in most eyes, the overall number one. Uh, in the industry, um, I know we had Adrian Peterson as number one, but Gurley, I remember kind of. Yeah, everyone thought he was the number one guy, and I just did not think that. Um, where do you, what, what's your thoughts for Gurley going into 2017? I'll, I'll tell you why I was a little more bearish, and I had him at four. It's because I thought uh, David Johnson was better, and Ezekiel Elliott was better, and that's basically it. Like. I wanted guys who can catch the football because going back to my reception study from last year, to be the top scoring running back, you need to be able to catch the football, and we really haven't seen Gurley do that to this point in his career. You know, now looking at Gurley, uh, what you hope for is they add some pieces on that offensive line in the middle rounds of the draft. They need to add, you know, a couple weapons at wide receiver. But it just doesn't look like they're going to be able to change much. I think I've got them, you know, 15 or 16. But looking at consensus ranks for earlier next season, I'm still more sort of bearish on his prospects than a lot of people. Uh, a lot of so there's the top 10 on the cusp of top 10 for Gurley next year. I just don't know if I'm ever going to rank him that high with this offense is currently constructed. I think it just needs a lot of work. And what, what's the best outcome? He maybe becomes a uh, better Matt Jones because it's a Sean McVay offense. But, you know, the quarterback's not the same. The weapons at wide receiver aren't the same. You know, their schedule's going to be tough playing against Seattle and Arizona. Mm-hmm. You know, all those things just don't sit right with me. The only hope is he can get back into the end zone those ten times. Yeah, well, for me, and I, and I think that the end zone thing is a good potential for him. I love the guys that have at least shown that they can do something and were overdrafted in, like this last year, so I know that they'll be coming at a value the next year. He's not going to be coming at a value. If, but if you're telling me, like, okay, I know where he's ranking him. Now, I, I, I will say this. I'm not going, if he falls to the third round, I'm all over it. You know, because it's all about... That, that probably sounds right, third round. Right. But don't. the one thing I do think is there's a lot of new names on the... Reach. There's a lot of new names in the block from this year, guys. Like our running back here with Howard. Stag's talking about how there's like four or five first four round. You got, first, you got McCaffrey coming out. You got... Uh, the, kid, got from Tennessee, the guy from Tennessee. Yeah, there's a lot of players. There's, a, there's potentially what I see in the early, and they change a lot, but there's four or five first... Potential first round running back, which is unheard of over the last four or so years. So you've got that influx. Who knows what that means? But we know that rookie running backs and rookie players can score and be fantasy relevant. And I, I agree with Staggs on this one. I, I like your thoughts on the receiving, but that team has just got too much, too much work to do. That one's out of the way, Gurley. Who are we going to uh, with next? I think we should talk about a dude that we think we did uh, kind of well on and uh, picked better than the industry's ADP, and that 
Let's start with DeMarco Murray. DeMarco Murray is a guy that I went into the offseason pretty high on because that offense, that team, I just felt good about it seeing the preseason. Where did we have him on our collective tiers? DeMarco Murray, we had him at 14. Um, where his ADP was in the industry, Stags, you say 19? Yeah. Um, all right. What, uh, I had him at 7. Where'd you guys, where did you have him at, Houdini? I got to find Give me one second here. I'll tell you. Cheers. I have a 15, Dini at 20, Mo at 23. So me and Mo were the ones that were bringing it down. Bring, don't bring me down. Don't bring down. me down. Just, Bruce! That, that offensive <laughs> line looked um, looked really good to me in the preseason, and I think that was one of the reasons why Vindication, I don't think we need to talk about this one too much. I believe we went into it a bit on last week's show. Um, well, then I'll give you a Val Verde. That's the best one I've had all night. He called me Chief Pigger. <laughs> <laughs> all right, now I get it. <laughs> um, Stag, what, what do you think going into this season with DeMarco Murray, with um, what's happening with that uh, team? This year two in this situation, obviously Derrick Henry being a poacher. What are your thoughts, um, you know, based on your tears that you did for your first version of this and just in general, are you liking DeMarco Murray or do you think sell high and career, uh, not career year, but big year uh, going to be falling down a bit? I've actually got DeMarco pretty high in my ranks right now. I think I've still got him as a top seven or eight you know, running back. I'm probably going to end up moving him down with you know, Derek Henry. I just expect that guy to be more and more involved. I think he'll be more in the 180 touch range next year to where he's getting 10, 12 looks a game. Uh, we saw that he was pretty good as a wide receiver out of the backfield, and we saw definitely that he was able to score touchdowns. So just with all those things and sort of DeMarco, you know, even though he played pretty much every game last year, he did get a little bit banged up. Uh, you know, that aspect of my game is going to have me a little bit worried. And I'm sure if DeMarco were the only running back on that team – he might have said, nah, I'm not playing. But, you know, with the guy breathing down your ah. neck, you know, that, and that forces you into the game, then you got to keep battling. So That's funny that you say that because I would almost think the exact opposite, you know, but you're totally right. The fact that you got, you got a guy that they drafted that's a Heisman Trophy winner, it's like, oh, geez, I don't want to recreate what just happened in, in, in Philadelphia. Um, Let's move on to another guy at the position. Uh, you know, Latavius Murray is one guy that uh, I had uh, super low, um, in my opinion. 23, I think, collectively. Um, we had Murray came in. I had him at 14. 16. He came in at 16. And what was his uh, ADP in the industry? And we'll look at where he finished off. Murray was right there at uh, running back 15, and he, f- you know, finished right at yeah. running back 15 or 14. Ah, I got him right on. Yeah. yeah. You the man. So with Latavius, <laughs> we thought they were adding a bunch of players. And, yeah, they were, and they each made impacts. But they made impacts sort of on top of Latavius Murray's numbers. And, you know, you look at Murray's attempts, and they were they were down from the previous season, but he was just able to score 
and, and that sort of changed it because his yards per carry didn't really change. You know, his effectiveness as a receiver went way up, although he didn't catch as many passes. But he just scored at twice the rate he did uh, in the previous season. And, you know, being a part of a high-powered offense can help you with that. But it doesn't seem like he's going to be a 1,000-yard runner again. Well, let's remember that Latavius Murray's a free agent first, so bring that up. So when we're talking about him, if he's back in Oakland, I, I don't know if he's going to be a 1,000-yard runner again just because they like using all three of those guys. Well, he only had rushing 788 yards this year, but like you said, he had that 12 touchdowns, all on the ground. None of them were uh, through the air, which just seems surprising that he couldn't get one receiving. Well, and touchdown. it's also surprising that you see when you see a guy who gets fed the early touchdowns, you expect the team to give him the ball more as the game goes on. And as soon as the game would go on, he would have those first two series, and then it's like, hello, Latavius. Bueller, anyone? Bueller, Bueller, where are you? Well, and then they get in the red zone after uh, Jalen Richard or whoever else is, or Washington in the backfield is bringing them downfield. And here's Latavius Murray again, touchdown! Hey! Think about it this way: the guy had the twenty-first. Uh, he ranked twenty-first in attempts. So at how many attempts? He had one hundred ninety-five. One hundred ninety-five. So you understand this? Twelve touchdowns, basically. 5% of his carries were for touchdowns. And that's crazy because you look at one thing, you see a guy that had two more carries, Isaiah Crowell, to give you a sense of how many yards per carry, was almost at, he only had 788 yards, uh, Murray, but Crowell had a 944. And I watched a lot of those games, sadly enough, uh, Browns. He should have had a thousand yards rushing this. They just did not feed him the ball enough. Well, they were never in games at the end to even give him the ball. It's still, they should have just fed the ball. They, they sucked. They were going to suck regardless. You might as well. Like, you're not going to throw your way out of a, into, into a victory here. Just do your game plan and build your Save team. Save your defense. And Save that. your defense. <laughs> do your, build your team. That's Jackson. You're going to be there for a while. Just do you. Don't try and... Uh, anyway... But you see, two more carries, and he uh, came much closer to a thousand yards. But um, you got anything else to say on Murray or no? Mm-hmm. Do you think I don't think he's going to be a Raider next year? What do you? I, I don't think that they they don't him. care. Why would you care? He's not a guy that you're going to pay any type of a real dollars for. If you can sign him for two million a year, two and a half million a year, no, he'll, he'll get more, he'll like get more than that in the he's over like market. A Doug Martin That's what I'm saying. He'll get more in the over market, so you let him go. All because these guys only get four or five million dollars right, a year. But you don't need to. But you don't need to pay him that much. He had the one game against Kansas City. And then, oh my <laughs> God! We wanted to do. It. We <laughs> I said, I'll, I'll admit it. See, Bell, I like you, Stacks. I'll admit it. Ow, that sucked. You know, one day honest citizens are gonna stand up to you, crooked cop. They are. Oh no! Have, have I set a date? <laughs> Uh, I like that Houdini got his big game in. I admit to all you my love, mistakes. I admit to my Robert game. Meachams. I admit to everything. You love that game. Um, <laughs> Actually, right. you it was Dog Manica I who loved, loved that game. I loved it because I had him. I, yeah, I didn't. Loved it too. I didn't. I drafted him the next year. That's all. I played Because that of that game. <laughs> and because of how you guys talked about him. <laughs> let's go to uh, Jay Ajayi. I don't know. Is that no, weird? Let's go to wide receivers. Yeah, okay. let's go to wide receivers. Um, Mike Evans. How about Mike Evans? How about him? Let's talk about Mr. Mike Evans. Our t- collective tiers, we uh, we had him at number eight. And our individual tiers, I had him at eight. Where'd you have him? I have him at nine. 
Where'd you have him, Stag Party? Eight. God damn it. Why did I think I knew? I, that was like my favorite guy. I had him in every league. Maybe it's just value-based. But um, And he finished third. Yeah, he finished third, right? Um, so Evans finished third. What else do we want to say about him? We knew that he had dropped a lot of passes. and, and, and if, But had he caught had he only he a quarter of those, he goes up to where he was. We liked that uh, Winston going into his second season was going to be better. And we also, it helped that Vincent Jackson, I think even before the season started, in preseason, was maybe it was game one or two or whatever. Early in the, early early in the season. season. It was early was in the season. out for the year. And they have nothing. And I don't even think Vincent Jackson's worth a shit, but they have nothing. Well, remember, too, we also thought the biggest challenge for him was going to come from Austin Safarian Jenkins. Who was traded. Who ended up getting cut, uh, cut, cut. like, uh, what, like a week before we, the season yeah. started? So, uh, everything was kind of sitting there for Mike Evans where, you know, was he going to be this, this the amazing ball-hawking type guy that he was in, the, in his rookies, uh, in his uh uh, from his first season to the guy who didn't live up to it in the second season, could he put it together in that third season? And the biggest thing for me was why I was strong on him was, again, can he just correct a couple of those mistakes, but the growth of Jameis Winston. And I think that this is where, again, when you look at a, at a player going back to kind of the thing that we were, that Stags brought up that I really have gravitated toward, the potential uh, ceiling versus floor. And... The potential ceiling for, for Mike Evans is you're the number one wide receiver in the NFL. Yep. Because, you know, there's not a uh, stellar run game there that is like an Ezekiel Elliott or a Le'Veon Bell that's, that's taking away from you and, and hell. Even if you had a Le'Veon Bell, look at what Antonio Brown's been able there's to no do. There's no running game there, to be honest. They're getting rid of Doug Martin. Right, but they need, they need actually to give more semblance of a running game so that he can be effective in play action. And that's the problem that they don't have right now. So if they can add that part of a weapon for him, because it's a quiz, we yeah, have a quiz has been up for so long, and it's not going to happen. Um, I'm sorry, but what I want for Evans is this: because Evans is not a receiver that needs to have a Keenan Allen eight to ten catches to have a good game. He can have four catches and have a good game because they could be four catches for thirty plus yards on each one. But he led the league in targets this year. Well, and he should lead the league in targets again next year. And I think in watching just game game film, he's on all my teams, watched every single minute of this guy playing, it seemed like he needed more targets than he actually got. And it seemed like... So why did he get frozen out of the goddamn Pro Bowl? Can you tell me that? Because I, I played the, the bowls where I could play like a Pro Bowl and Super Bowl. He wasn't even like an alternate option? You know, he came out and played like two plays. Oh. And then he like, I'd say he froze out like... He wasn't out there. Doug Baldwin getting thrown out there like, hello, it's the fucking Pro Bowl. Mike Evans was a hell of a fucking receiver this year. Why are we not going to get to see him play? He probably was like, I don't want to get injured. Went to the coach and be like, yeah, just, I, all I need is this for, for the bonus I get. I don't need the catches. Yeah, remember, just the thing that really changed for Mike Evans was touchdowns. Because yeah. not much else changed. We knew the targets were going to be there uh, because he's the best receiver on that team. But he scored just three touchdowns in 2015. 2016, he got back to 12, which he also did his rookie year. The touchdown variance was bound to recorrect. So, you know, he's a big guy who's going to catch touchdowns. He's going to be a major touchdown sort of maker in that offense. So I'm not worried about him getting to double-digit scores on a consistent basis. I think that should be his baseline. But, yeah, the targets did drop off in the second half of the season because they started playing that slower pace, keep it 
keep away that almost got them into the playoffs. And if that's something they're going to stick with, it could be tough for Mike Evans to lead the league in targets again. And he also led the league in targets with the fewest targets since, what, 2010? Yeah, but again, where I keep going, and this is where, where I, we were having the, I remember the, I remember these discussions last offseason, where I was so high on Jameis Winston, yeah. and I'm going, that growth alone, and, and he did take some real nice steps yeah. uh, from season one to season two, that his growth from season two to season three should benefit Mike Evans even more. And I'm still gonna I'm still gonna rely on that as why. But again, what what Stags is saying, his floor is so high because he's he's a proven double digit touchdown guy. And in an off year, it shouldn't be the three. That was an anomaly. It should be like a seven or eight at the worst that you're gonna see out of him. And hopefully they they need more talent around him. So hopefully right. that can benefit him some play action, like you said. They need maybe a running back action. They, he needs a complimentary receiver. They need something else. That's a that's a, I mean, Bray had a great season. He had eight touchdowns. He was the top. He was number six uh, at tight end out of nowhere. Uh, but they need more weapons to really I think help uh, Evans. But still, I'm high on him because they got nothing fucking else. Um, Stags, any other? Um, what's another wide receiver that you'd like to uh, hone in on for uh, our tears action? Whether it was something we did great or something we were off on. Let's talk about Devontae Adams. How the hell did this guy finish at you know wide receiver seven when we probably had him ranked wide receiver seventy-seven? Uh, I don't know if that's the exact number, but after that crap of a season, butterfingers oh, dropped every pass. Dropped every pass, couldn't score a touchdown to save his life. You know, looked slow. Aaron Rodgers just didn't look like he clicked with them. Aaron Rodgers' numbers overall were down because of, you know, the receiving core he had around him. Randall Cobb couldn't get it done. That offense just looked broken without Jordy. And then suddenly Jordy comes back and it looks pretty good. But also Devontae Adams scores 12 touchdowns. Just catching... Pretty much everything thrown his way. He still had some real bad, bad drops. Red, bad, bad drops that would have been resulted in him getting like 16 touchdowns in the yep. season. <laughs> this is also the thing that I think that we failed to, why we missed. Part of the reason why we missed. And we should not do this. When you look at Green Bay, let's go back. Whether it was James Jones, Donald Driver, Jordy Nelson, you have these multiple guys that have gotten these huge touchdown years. And it's Aaron Rodgers. And what happened was is that I think maybe we over we overestimated in we, we always were we're we didn't have faith in our Jordy Nelson, that's fine. But we overestimated Randall Cobb. We thought that Randall Cobb was gonna be a bigger part of that offense and that Devontae Adams, hey, if you're Aaron Rodgers and I'm throwing the ball to you this many times and you're dropping it, I'm just not gonna throw you the ball anymore. But for whatever reason, Aaron Rodgers can see the Athletic ability of what Devontae Adams would bring is like, I'm still going to throw him the ball because he's getting open. And then the one thing that happened was once we got to the point where you had no running game left in Green Bay and Jordy Nelson then got dinged up, who else are you going to throw the ball to? And, and, and he, his upsurgence toward the, the second half of the season was just ridiculous. Yeah, he always seemed to come back and rebound from a bad game, put up a good game. And yeah, those touchdown numbers were just ridiculous. Finished three yards short of a 1,000-yard season. Just a big surprise. And I guess the thing is, even if a player really struggles, we've got to remember that if they're in an offense where the quarterback is so great, 
It's a mainly, you know, passing offense. He's still going to have a shot. And he's still young, and they spent some draft capital on him. Yep. We can't write him off. Yep. You know, I think a lot of people wrote him off just after seeing what he put up on the field last year. And I guess we wrote off the fact that he can improve. Yeah. And he improved in a big way. But, yeah, he still had some real bad moments. I think one of the reasons why he had such a great season, too, that I think he probably learned from his um, – was it his rookie season the year before? Or is this, was this his third year this year? Whatever. It was third year. Okay. So, but what, one of the things I think he learned from 2015 to last season is – Keeping the play alive when you got Aaron Rodgers back there, and just keeping um, keeping the play alive, and just finding and coming back to the ball. He was excellent at that. So many of those plays where Rodgers was able to find that extra time, he would you would along the sideline, coming back in the middle, coming all the way across the field, across his body throw. It, he just knew that if this if I, we're still running around and this defensive back hasn't stopped on me, that means Aaron Rodgers is, is, is loose and I just need to come back and make myself available for a throw for him. So I agree with you. And it also goes back to things that Dog Manica said a while ago. That third wide receiver, he's really the number two at this point, I believe. Even though um, you know uh, Cobb. Cobb ended up the season with a nice, uh, great game or two, um, he did those really. yeah re- did the end of the season yeah the last postseason um, he those guys the deeper guys on the Packers always kind of come through and have fruitful seasons so uh, we uh, let's move on to anybody else I think we talked about Terrell Williams enough um, and he was more of a pickup anyways. Julian Edelman? Is he worth talking about? No, let's talk about Rashard Matthews. Okay, yeah. Uh, So Rashard Matthews is, I think, a guy we talked about as the guy going to come in and be the number one wide receiver for the Marcus Mariota offense. I think we ranked him as such. Uh, There's a lot of Tajay Sharp love in the preseason for that rookie. Uh, (laughs) And in the first three weeks of the season. (laughs) Yeah, he was all right. Uh, no, but I'm saying uh, misplaced, uh, just over-exuberance for the I newcomer. I mean, it's because he was playing. Yeah. And Rashard Matthews was like their third wide receiver for the first couple games, and then suddenly they started playing him on 90% of the snaps. He started making plays down the field. He started making plays after the catch. Uh, so he started doing a lot of different things. And, and it just really helped, you know, his ability to – you know, make things happen. He scored nine touchdowns on the season. He's another guy that had nearly a thousand yards receiving. But you know, if he was out there for the entire season, like he was during that back half of the season, great things could have happened. And you know, his chemistry with Marcus Mariota is there, and the fact that he might not even be the wide receiver one on this team next year could be a good thing if they draft somebody. Yeah. If they draft one of those physical presences like a Mike Williams or a you know Corey Davis, you know any of those sort of guys uh, in, in the first round and have one of those impact-type players to where Rashard Matthews has looked like a good two. One thing I'll mention on Davis, Davis fucked up his ankle today, right, in training? Yeah. Uh, so he's, they're thinking that he's going to be a combine. Uh, he's pretty much already ruled out Yeah, he's right, ruled out. So that, that kind of sucks for him. Hope that's legit and him not scared of his uh, speed and, and, 
and doing the Crabtree number uh, from years ago. But uh, regardless, he's going to be he's going to he's going to be a first rounder and, and, and a good pick. Rashard Matthews is one of these type of guys that I always like, right? Because a guy who's not highly drafted, who has to earn their spot onto the field uh, through hard work, through hard play, um, and then finally gets an opportunity. So it's kind of like where you know where he was showing all those flashes in Miami, where he was playing behind Brandon Marshall and he was playing behind. Uh, was it was he playing with Brandon Marshall back then? No, no. Okay, so it was Jarvis Landry and. Uh, um, uh, Brian Hartline, who he was out, out making the plays. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Brian Hartline and Brandon Marshall, not quite the same thing. Uh, but one of the things that was interesting is that you could see how he just had a propensity to make those plays. And so he gets the new opportunity. So to me, a similar uh, parallel for him was like Emmanuel Sanders when he was on Pittsburgh. And he was a guy that I was super high on and was grabbing him with Pittsburgh. And then he goes to uh, Denver and it was like, oh, well, he's, you know, he's not that safe, not the type of guy. And then boom, he explodes. You know, so you get the right situation. So like uh, I'm looking for guys like that on other teams right now. So you have guys like maybe Adam Thielen is one of those type of guys that, look, he's giving you the splash, he's showing you the big game, but he actually was pretty consistent throughout. You also have Adam Humphreys who showed some a little bit. How about Cameron Meredith with the Bears, who another hard work guy has had to earn his way out there and, nice. and make his way. And the ultimate guy, if you go back to, to where it all began from, uh, who, was, who was the counterpart to Jimmy Smith? Keenan McCardle. Keenan McCardle was a practice squad player for the Browns, actually uh, for the Bears, and then went to the Browns. So uh, Willie Sneed's in that sort of discussion. Right. These, those guys, you just know, they're working hard all the time, and they don't take what they get for granted. And I, I think when you're building them from year to year, if you want one of those other guys that you can consistently take, that's going to be. They're not the name, yeah. But you know that you're not going to have that. So we're talking about that ceiling floor thing again. That's where I just keep thinking. Their floors are so much higher because they work hard. I love it. I think and that's, that's one of your things, D-Rex. Yeah, uh, and, and, but also, but I'm terrible at it, especially a wide receiver. I do go with namesake. I hate, like, an Emmanuel Sanders. I think he was, I, I, like, literally I was looking at my tears. I had Emmanuel Sanders, one at 47, and Richard Matthews at 48. I'm just not an Emmanuel Sanders guy, so. But I do draft a namesake more so And I dropped the Sanders down, and I have it at 32. So, but I but I agree with you that I think moving forward, those hard workers, those practice guys, those guys that are getting that rapport with their quarterback, especially at that wide receiver position, the anti diva kind of guy is 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 a good a good way to go. Um, all right, before we go over to some of the tiers, we'll talk about a couple uh, tier guys at the tight end position. Let's listen to this. The tight end position, as we know came down to earth after a shattering, awesome, uh, a great year in 14 and then just an epic year um, if, as far as just the number of uh, guys scoring points in the position in 15. Uh, I think we came back down to earth uh, this year. Let's talk about some tight end guys that we, um, you know, hit on. I think we were great on Kelsey. I know that you want to say something? If your nose starts bleeding, it means you're picking it too much. <laughs> I, I've been picking my nose a lot this week. I mean, yeah. <laughs> That's like before the show, he's like, yeah, I think you got to blow your nose. I'm like, what? What do you mean? <laughs> um, Stags, is there a guy that you want to talk about first? Or should we just each throw a guy out there? Yeah. How about, like, Delaney Walker? Yeah, how about So, you know, he finished, what, fifth among tight ends in scoring? 
Uh, I think we had them ranked, you know, sixth or seventh. Uh, We thought maybe there could be a little bit of a drop-off, you know, in the target numbers. Uh, You know, coming off a season in which he had 133 in 15 games, those numbers did come down. But he was able to sort of keep that touchdown number up and actually increase it a little bit. And tight ends as a whole sort of fell down. But he was pretty consistent on a weekly basis. But he also had those big up games and had those sort of consistent, you know, four or five catch performances. He's a guy getting a little longer in the tooth now, going to be 33 next season. It's going to be interesting to see if he can keep it up. But I think tight end is one of those positions where you have a little bit more longevity. Your athleticism doesn't play as much. Especially if you can block and he can block. And he was on the shelf when he was in San Francisco those first four-ish years. He was, he was behind Vernon, Vernon Davis. Vernon Davis. I mean, he is, he's got a low tread on his wheels from that time. From that time. Yeah, I was from 2011 to 2012. He, he even signed another little deal to stay in San Francisco and be the complimentary tight end. Now, what's going to be interesting, though, is that we've had the last couple tight end classes. Now we've had some, some better talent come in, and this is actually a very good tight end class that's coming in this year. Yep. Well, so, well, but it would have been better if the one guy from Michigan didn't totally destroy his career. And they, it's all right. There's, it's still, there's only two first-rounders, though, right? I mean, no. O.J. Howard's your first rounder, and then you might have maybe a late first rounder or, or a high second round pick. Um, you know, maybe like I think there's gonna be a lot of. I'll tell you what: if you're a Bear fan, you're hoping that that uh, uh, the second guy I can't remember uh, uh, from which one, which school from uh, the Alabama, not Alabama. That's, that's O.J. Howard. The other guy is it Tennessee or is it uh, no uh, Clemson? Clemson. Uh, I guess the guy. He's the one that's gonna go first. Oh no! No, O.J. Howard's going first. Okay. Njoku, okay, yeah, you're right. Njoku from Miami. That guy's a stud. There's a few of them. There's a lot of different tight ends in a lot of different places. Well, there's one that I, uh, whatever it is. The uh, Bears Mel- are Melvin Ingram or Ingram, Evan Ingram from Ole Miss. That guy's a stud too. Uh, I can't remember which one, but there's a guy. What I'm saying is, I think OJ Howard goes in the first round. He's going to go like in the in the teens, okay? Because of his ability, that's going to happen. But. Look, I was just saying, I was just trying to make a point that the Bears are going to grab the guy with the third pick in the second round. I'm, all not, giving, I'm not giving you any side wise. What I'm saying is, this is a good class coming in, so you have some some influx. Uh, you know, is I don't think Delaney Walker has to worry about it that much, but I no, think but they they also picked up Jason Morrow. You know, he didn't get completely integrated during the season. Is he a guy they want to maybe bring on a little bit more next season and could take some targets away? But the, I think going back to what you said earlier, I mean, I, I start looking through the tier list, my tier list of all the tight ends. I'm like, oh, maybe I missed here, but oh, they all suck. <laughs> there yeah. was there were no difference makers this year. You didn't have like, okay, look, we all had Jordan Reed high, right? And what a disappointment this guy was. So Fleener we had high. Well, so, so here's mine. mine for Fleener is like he's my disappointment just because you go into an offense where Ben Watson, okay? Remember Ben Watson? What happened to Ben Watson this year? He left and went to, to Baltimore and he disappeared. Well, like towards that end. Okay, yeah, right. But but, but but I'm saying with New Orleans. Okay, I know. Fine. I, Try to draw your narrative on that one a little. Was, <laughs> the fact remains: if you're going to tell me that Ben Watson. Skill level and Kobe Fleener, you would have everyone would have said, I'd rather have the skill level of Kobe Fleener. And the difference is that Fleener in that offense 
with a guy who, a quarterback who has made tight ends, could not make Kobe Fleener. He instead was forced to make Willie Sneed and then make rookie Michael Thomas because you know what? I'm done throwing you the stick and ball. You suck. These guys are playmakers. And I do think that Fleener, I hate to say this, burn you once, don't burn me again, George W. Shame Bush. on, shame uh, on. But I like a Fleener if, if, at the value you're going to be able to get him next year because maybe he just didn't really get the offense, couldn't really get that timing, and he just kind of, he looked befuddled out there. But he scares he you because confident. his So his I, I can see that in the teens next year going with a Fleener and seeing if he could be that bounce back guy. Here's my problem with that. Like, they made sure to get Fleener involved in the offense. The targets were there. Guy just can't fucking catch. I agree. He sucked. He He just can't fucking catch. Like, I don't know if he's ever going to learn how to catch. He sucked. But I'm not scared to take a flyer on him. And hold on. Uh, The burp didn't come out. All right, well, take your time. Hang on. You know, I went to the McDonald's in uh, Shelbyville on Friday night. A McWhat? A uh, McDonald's restaurant. I, uh, I never heard of it either, but uh, they have over 2,000 locations in this state alone. Must have sprung up overnight. You know the funniest thing, though? It's the little differences. Example. Well, at McDonald's, you can buy a Krusty Burger with cheese, right? But they don't call it a Krusty Burger with cheese. Shut up. Well, why do they call it? A quarter pounder with cheese. Quarter pounder with cheese? Well, I can picture the cheese, but... Uh, do they have crusty, partially gelatinated, non-dairy, gum-based beverages? Mm-hmm. They call them shakes. <laughs> shakes. Don't know what you're getting. Oh, well, I know what I'm getting. Some donuts. Uh, uh, help me out the boot, boys. Help me out the boot, boys. Help me out the boot, boys. Boys. Look at boys. All right, what else should we... Uh, we, got, we got a couple more minutes here to, to fire up some tight end... Or two, a Spitfire. What do you got? When do you guys want to throw someone out? Boaz. <laughs> hey, boy. I was so hey, good. Well, how about Gary Barnage? How about Gary Barnage is a guy that, you know. I knew there was going to be a I knew there was going to be a, a downfall, too. I had him ranked as number eight. Where did he finish? Like 14? I had him seven. Try again. Oh, way lower. Lower. 18, 25, 42. Strike. 20. 20. This is what you can't understand. From how good he was the season before, obviously burst on the scene, but knowing that there was a dearth of talent out there at on that team, who else were you going to give the ball to? He should have gotten targeted a hell of a lot more than he did, and you know, just like just became a forgotten person. So was last year more so the anomaly? And again, what will be interesting to see is where are people going to view him next year? Because he won people their leagues two years ago. Yeah. And last year was... Uh... I think if McCown had not gotten injured after uh, he would have had a better season. Um, and obviously we know that two years ago, the games that I... I'm, maybe I'm wrong here. But the games that really Barnage really was awesome were the uh, Johnny football games, weren't exact they? Opposite. Exact opposite. No, it was the okay. okay. was McCown. Yeah, okay. McCown. So, McCown, he had one good game. He had one good game with Johnny football. But... Um, 
Yeah, McCown got injured after RG3 got injured. <laughs> uh, it's the Browns. I uh, think. After Cody Kessler got, got injured. Concussion. Yeah, yeah. Got concussion. <laughs> I think in general, just the Browns. Until the Browns cannot be the Browns, it's time to not really be all in fantasy football-wise on any Browns players. And I learned that with, uh, I like Corey Coleman last year. That's a guy that I was high on. Um Body size, opportunity, touchdowns, just the Browns are the Browns. Yeah. It's better be about pizza. Yeah, I, I think it mostly came down to, you know, touchdowns and he didn't score as many as he did the previous season. He went down from nine to two. He wasn't used heavily in the red zone. And it also seemed like, you know, whoever their tight end two that week was, that guy would be the week. Uh, that guy would be the touchdown scorer that week. Like guys like Seth DeValve and Connor Hamlet, and you know other guys like that. They just vulture this dude's touchdowns. Uh, but also, let's be honest, and this is something that we should have looked at. I think I don't think any of us were that high on Barnage, so that we did a good job with him. Uh, but Barnage has been in the league since 2008. Uh, I made I made this was one of my he, key points. He, he, he never had he, more than in one season in total ever. So, this was an anomaly. He came out of nowhere. He had that great season. Is, is there ever been a player that in season eight all of a sudden became a, a, a stud no, I, I, for, I, for the twilight of I'll give you a kind really. I'll give you a more recent comparison of a guy who didn't do anything for about two or three years, had a great year, and then was, was then came right back to regression. Brandon Myers. Okay? Iowa tight end. With uh, Oakland, Giants. Uh, oh no! Okay, yeah. Oakland yeah, had had like all of a sudden had that breakout. It was like like eight or ten touchdowns or whatever. But took all those things. Hey, he's a blocker. He's out there on 90 percent of the snaps. He can do all this stuff. And then he went to the Giants. Nothing, you know. They all disappeared. Yeah, Giants. You, you can't even do anything with Larry Donnell and Will Ty there. No, you're done. You're nothing. So Zach Miller. Which one? <laughs> no, I like one. I like Zach Miller. You like him? Yeah, but Zach Miller's also been in the league for years. Yeah, no, he's been. He's been both Zach Millers have been in the league for. <laughs> both were never very good. Yeah, no, well, one was. One was a lot better than the other, but that's about it. Where did Zach Miller end up uh, last year? Oh, he got hurt though. But he's twenty-one, and he came into the league nine. Okay, but he, I got it. But he, he actually was out of the league for four years. So that's one reason that. Well, so some of those from were eleven injuries. to fifteen. He was gone. I'm not. I, I got you, but I'm just saying, like he was literally. So that'll that'll spike some vision quest in you to be out of the league and get that hunger to get back in there. But Barnage is it playing sixteen games and doing nothing for a lot of years. This, this is Barnage in the off season. Looks like we got ourselves an old fashioned car chase. I love you, Chief Wiggum. You're the greatest. We love you guys. He's the greatest, dude. I could. I mean, he's my favorite part of The Simpsons. There's a lot to love in The Simpsons. Uh, all right, guys. This was our last show of the 2016 season. We got the Super Bowl happening on Sunday. I hope you win a lot of prop bets. I hope you win your squares. I hope you get drunk. I hope it's a great game. Hey, man, this is what it's all about, championship. We'll see if it's a Tom Brady bringing it home. Um, good times all around. We're fired up. 
we're going to be doing from this point forward. We'll be doing a show next week, um, the, uh, ne- a week from today, Wednesday, and then we're going to take a couple, maybe few weeks off. I'm going to be doing a show, Pyro Podcast Light, with Pyromaniac Mo. The week after next Wednesday, and so I will we'll I, I won't be able to be here next Wednesday, so uh, the Waz will be stepping in. We'll see. We don't know. We haven't asked him. Well, you'll ask him, and he'll show up because he wants to be on the podcast. So <laughs> we hope so. But yeah, you're out again. Um, but don't uh, bad talk me when I'm gone. <laughs> <laughs> Double down on the bad talk. Um, good work, my Waz. Hey, um, hey, hey, hey! I ain't got all day, drama queen. Get it over with. Oh, yeah. I, gotta, I, gotta I was just, saving that one. I, 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 I was gotta, saving that one. I love it. Anyway, guys, we love you. Pyro Podcast, year-round. We are going to take a little bit of a break. We'll be on the show next week. We're going to have lights going on all off-season. We're going to have Pyro Podcast going on all off-season. You know what we do during the off-season is give you strategy, give you insight, give you the goods to make you prepared for the 2017 season. We all talk about it. It's, I like doing the off-season shows much more um, than I like doing uh, just match-up in-season stuff. Just more fun for me. But regardless, this is fantasy football. We want to give you the goods to how to be champions, teach you how to fish. We love you. Stag party, holla for a dollar. Houdini, holla for a dollar. Let's have a good Super Bowl. So we're closing out once again. This is Cooking on Three Burners, Melbourne, Australia, Kebs. Bucket.